Warning, this podcast contains scenes of explicit nonsense and lore. Previously on the Resident Evil podcast. Can't really imagine this voice actor using that voice to ask Chris to make him a cup of tea in the star's office. One of the biggest things about these remakes that perhaps is a bit of a cheat and also a bit of a loss is that it's less trailblazing to have so many remakes really in the sense that you're just rehashing old ground until you're reinventing parts of it and so forth. Jumping chandeliers, seriously, who does that? Bang, 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 bang. Gun rhymes with fun for a reason, stranger. Hello, stranger. Jumped out my fucking skin. Hello and welcome to episode 87 of the Resident Evil podcast. More troublesome than some black water in rural Spain, and the only coronation we will attend is for the new king of the Indopire tribe. I'm Nick, better known as Neptune. Let's see who's joining us today. He's defeated the Joker, Riddler, and Catwoman, but what about the remake continuity? It's the Batman. Hello there. Some say his exposed heart is what makes him a loving and caring individual. For others, it's a clear target for his imminent destruction. It's Star's Tyrant. Hello there. And he's been in the RE community longer than the undead from the Tall Oaks catacombs. It's Rombie. Hello. Coming up, very true. <laughs> coming up on today's podcast, we'll be finishing our look at the excellent Resident Evil 4 remake with our deep dive into its lore. Specifically, we're looking at the in-game narrative, the new elements that have been added to the tale, and trying to work out what fits, what doesn't, and whether it's a general improvement over the lore of the original Resident Evil 4. We'll also be catching up on some news that we missed from last time before ending with another edition of Neptune's Biohazard Quiz. So let's start with that news. Not too much news in this podcast. The first bit comes from Death Island. Oh, yes. Yeah, so we are rapidly approaching the release of uh, Resident Evil Death Island. And it's been shown that a home release is coming, perhaps unsurprisingly. And I think there's a pre-order up on Amazon France. Uh, 2nd of August looks to be the date a um, home release is coming. And that's uh, certainly in 4K UHD, which is very nice indeed. Because Infinite Darkness did not get a 4K release. Uh, neither did Vendetta in PAL regions. Put that in your diary. We're getting ever closer to Death Island, folks. With Remake 4 kind of passing, is, is this something to get excited about? I am. But, you know, that's just me, because <laughs> it's got a shark. We like the shark. What about you guys? I'm interested to see the dynamic of the returning characters, yeah. Mm. I just don't have confidence after the last couple. I suspect that it'll be an interesting story, but relatively standalone and potentially pointless. But hey, whatever. <laughs> I'm still going to watch it. We're going to watch it, and we're going to hope and pray. As I said, with all these animations... Who knows? I might get surprised. None of them are... Well, I mean, Vendetta's pretty woeful, but none of them are terrible, terrible. But I think as fans, you know, especially when we've got the big four together for the first time, plus, you know, Rebecca, we want something pretty good, don't we, John? We do, but I think history has taught us that's not what we're going to get. 
you know, it's nice that they're finally doing this big Avengers-style team-up with mm. all the main cast. And as Sean said, it's the little individual character moments. That's going to be the highlight for me. I watched the trailer again uh, this morning, actually, just randomly, and it just looks like an absolute hot mess. You know, I'm really not expecting much from it at all. <laughs> we don't dwell on too much, because obviously we're doing our review in August as well. But I think with a lot of them... Even with Infinite Darkness and Vendetta, there's little moments of, you know, kind of that slow-paced, mansion-esque, you know, intrigue that could work really well. And they just go, nah, you know, and they just throw it away for the bombastic nature of the animation. We understand why, but, you know, they could change it up a little bit. I mean, with exception to the, you know, the tyrant battle in Damnation for obvious reasons and parts of the Curtis fight in Degeneration, my single favourite moments from each of these projects has just been the quiet character moments, like with Leon and Claire in Degeneration, Chris's chat with Rebecca in the hotel room. It's the character moments that I'm on board for, and Infinite Darkness, as an example, had painfully little of those because of how Claire was sidelined and whatnot. In fact, the most interesting piece of the movie was actually their scene together at the end. Mm. So hopefully, you know, I can switch my brain off at the pirouetting and Jill wall running like Alice and stuff like that and just hopefully get some good character drama and then the rest of the movie can do what it likes. I'll I'll apply the sort of same mindset that I do to Resident Evil 6 where when it's just about characters talking it's great and when it's, you know, snowmobile chases down avalanches I couldn't care less. Last bit of new sales figures. Oh yes, as always, we like to uh, keep people posted. But more importantly, Capcom have updated everyone with what they have described as their best quarter ever. Quite remarkable figures. Their total sales, I think, was from up from 32 million to 41 million sales in a quarter, which is uh, mm. unbelievable. No, I was fiscal year, fiscal not year, quarter. Fisc- sorry, fiscal yes, f- uh, in, in the fiscal year. of sales overseas now uh, in the Western Hemisphere, which is unsurprisingly Capcom's IP, especially things like Monster Hunter, as well as gained a lot of traction abroad, which is is great for Capcom. But on a negative side, from my point of view, specific sales figures of physical media is now only 10.6%. That is disgraceful. <laughs> it is. And I, you can fight the tide, but I don't think there's anything we can do now. Unfortunately, no. I will mourn it. And I'll still you know, support physical as long as I can. But even I'm not naive. I know it's, it's time will be up soon. It's just the relentless war on plastic now. I think that's going to do it. When you just look at, you know, is there really a need to develop cases and discs when you can just do it all digitally? And then it cuts down on the shipping and stock yeah. holding and, and all the physical and, elements of exactly. So it's like digital's got a lower carbon footprint, uh, and it's a feature that obviously look, companies like Microsoft have been pushing for for a decade now. So you yeah. know. I do believe Resident Evil Two Remake is very close to overtaking RE Seven as the top selling title ever, isn't it? Yeah, if you take it as a single release, that is true. But then, obviously, if you combine all the unit sales of various games, I think Resident Evil 5 is technically the one that sold the most of all titles still. It's if you combined it all the versions that came on. So it depends on your outlook. But as a single release, yeah, it, it is super close. It's probably one more. We get an update sales quarter. I guarantee it's probably overtaken it. And I think Alex and Neil said the same thing. Like, um, Well deserved. It's two it's great, great games at the time. It, even all the games, I mean, Seven's still selling too, like, as well, which is just crazy. I think it's sold in like, like another 300,000 units, which is just nuts. You know, remakes both sold pretty well. Even three, you know, as much as people don't say it's a great remake, 
remake, it's obviously still considered a good game, and they both sold uh, north of half a million in that time. So yeah, I think it was, and we know Resident Evil Four, like the sales covers only was only a week, I think, of its launch. So, and we know that later on they updated the amount past four million. So we know that the next report's going to definitely push Four's remake through quite a higher number as well. So yeah, Capcom will be obviously very happy with that. They've had ten years of consistent growth, eight with profitable like just amounts. Like it's just an insane. Like the company has never done any better, and it was the highest number of sales total for any year. Like just insane. At risk of sounding like an absolute shell, this this just makes me so happy. <laughs> it, it, make, it makes me so happy because like Capcom have long been my favourite developer and i've you know you stick with companies through their worst years and if we sort of rewind the clock back 10 years they weren't in a great place you know even in the fighting game division with the you know the street fighter cross tech and scandal with the dlc being on the disc and everything like that they've come a long way since those years and as a lover of street fighter and obviously there's street fighter 6 on the horizon you know it makes me so happy to actually see a company that have taken feedback on board and you know actually giving people what they want and look at it just you know converting into sales it's like you look at other companies that struggle square enix going down there absolutely nonsense nft avenues and things like that and here's capcom just being a video game developer and look how well they're doing as a result of it it's it's heartwarming you look at something like konami same thing you know went down the pachinko gambling yeah. machines entertainment route and it's only now i think they realized well, we could have been growing both at the same time which is why they started to put and, a push into things like you know the silent hill 2 and remake and so forth when the great thing with it is as well is it's not just like pushing live service games or multiplayer only experiences you know the, the resident evil games are still absolutely you know well done you know single player packages that work out the box mm. that don't really require massive day one patches or anything like that that's it's commendable do you think rob you've probably got more experience than most of us here do you think though that bigger companies will look at these results and maybe think hmm, maybe a perfect lineup for a buyout couldn't if we were microsoft couldn't we hoover up this company and look at all this bank we could get it's a scary thought and I, it has obviously been rumored before i think the thing that will be at saving grace is usually when that sort of thing starts to happen if there are outsiders who've got an invested interest into spending money especially saudi money like i know that sounds crazy but there's a lot of investment from from saudi countries into gaming development what they tend to do is diversify their portfolios into game companies that are doing well so if they'll look at capcom and go if something's going to buy it out and they see that it's potentially going to make it worse they'll go and invest money to keep the game company independent which has happened in the past and even companies themselves will do that like ubisoft's a perfect example of just like making sure that they continue to raise funding and capital and push on people to invest in the company to stop it from being bought out at times so I, I think it's one of those cases where I, I think capcom's in a good position and it would be it would be a risky endeavor I'd, I'd for hate to someone to yeah but then yeah the flip side is if you're doing poorly as well you know it's not least it gets bought out either unless you know this uh, worth in the ip value so yeah i think the other interesting thing about this is tracking is that in an industry state and this is something else also you've got to be aware of is like just that impact that they will have it's funny because i've never really thought about it until maybe a couple of weeks ago and we were talking about the legacy impact of say resident evil 4 in the industry right and we're talking about that wholly as the impact that that game had on the industry this is another impact on the industry like i hadn't thought about it in these terms until two weeks ago i was like as i said i don't think any company has ever made this many from the ground up remakes and they've all done pretty well 
And even though you know, Resident Evil 3 was not as critically well-loved as 2 and 4 has been, it's still selling. It's still financially viable and it's still part of a train of remakes. And we've then seen this knock-on effect of like, you know, Dead Space remake and Silent Hill 2 and stuff. And so this industry thing will be that more remakes are coming where the benefit is that they take it and look at it and go, right, we're going to make it from the ground up properly and see how it goes rather than just putting out a very basic crash grab remake like the hd era of ps3 where we got these like hd ports and a lot of them were just terrible because there was no love or care into it they've realized the sales are where we spend the money and so i think it's going to be interesting few more years of like seeing what other remakes get made maximo yeah from a capcom perspective as well they've got exactly a a huge and nick's pulling up what i'm about to say which is that a, a huge ip base of games that they haven't touched and so if they run out of resident evil games to remake i suspect we won't be surprised to start seeing them go hey we're gonna make these other remakes of these other games because they're catalog ip and we can grow them again so like dino crisis and stuff like that start with something that's connected to resident evil in some respect but isn't resident evil and if that does well and start making more remakes of other titles yeah i mean and see where it goes it probably won't be unfeasible to think you might get a Devil May Cry 1 remake in the RE engine. That's the scary thought. I was thinking to myself about this as I keep going, oh, where's the Resident Evil remake train going to end? Well, that will probably end eventually. They'll run out of games to remake for a while. But that doesn't mean Capcom can't remake or reestablish other IP. So, yeah, be very interested to see where the future of the company goes on after all these sales. Capcom has still the ability to remake, let's say, three, four of these Resident Evil titles. But let's be completely honest. Code Veronica, Zero, the Resident Evil 1 remake could be remade again. And five, those are the more obvious four titles that people would pick out. I think the internet's clamoring over the idea of five, but obviously there's a vocal base about Code Veronica. I'll be very interested to see what they make next. Poor old Survivor gets untouched. I think Capcom's clearly just focusing on mainline titles. We've, we've yeah. noticed this. And the, the versions we've got have been... It's not like they're going to turn around and make Umbrella Chronicles, Dark Side Chronicles remake because the narrative is mostly side stories and retelling of other games that they've already just remade so why would you do something like that and survivor is what does that mean to anyone like you can make an amazing survivor game but i don't think they're interested in those narrative side stories as much when was the last time we had an actual proper true side story game absolutely yeah it is umbrella corpse which doesn't really count so it's revelations too yeah That does finish all the gaming news. We quickly move over to our site news where we say thank you to our new patrons who have joined us since the last podcast. So a big shout out and thank you to Something Valentine, Ghost, Damien Poe and Two Count Kyle. Thank you so much for your support. If anyone is interested in joining Patreon, then you can head over to our website, click on the community tab and you should find a button to go to our Patreon to see what benefits it brings. Thanks to uh, Batman, we have updated the law room. So there's a new translation on the website of Biohazard 4 Incubate, which is a DVD that came out in uh, Japan. So it's kind of like a cinematic DVD, all, all the cutscenes from RE4 uh, in, in a DVD package, which was great. But the important thing was the book clip that kind of came with it, which basically, as most people would say, did you like the end credit sequence in the original Resident Evil 4? Yes, you did. Then you will like the story, because it's basically that, with some history and, you know, of what's going on in there and some villagers, you know, having a nice tranquil life and then Los Illuminados turning up and screwing everyone over, basically. But John, you've delved into that. 
Anything you wanted to add about it? Anything listeners and you know visitors of the website would want to pick up on? Not really. There's no like major revelations or anything in there. It's written by a villager called Rodrigo who sketches different images of the village and talks just about everyday life. It's about the village's gradual descent into the Los Illuminados taking over and infecting them all with the parasite. You know, we all know how much the ending sequence of the original game resonates with people. And if you read these journal entries, it just resonates that little bit more. It just talks about how simple life is in the village and all they're bothered about is just family and friendship and, you know, all those simple values and just how it all gets completely taken away from them. You know, they're all just taken in by this cult and this parasite, which they genuinely believe is going to uh, help them reach salvation or whatever. So yeah, it's just a nice little bookend to the original game and just put some meat on the bones to the story. Because as we all know, there was very little in the original game. So I would urge people to give it a read, certainly. I think that's everything from OG Resident Evil 4 or Biohazard 4 we've now got in the law room. Yeah, pretty much. We've got quite a, uh, an extensive catalogue in there now. Um, I don't really think we're missing anything important. So yeah, if you are interested in supplemental law for the uh, the OG Resident Evil 4, then I would certainly suggest having a look in there because there is plenty of nice little uh, little tidbits, which again yes. adds meat to the bones to the story, which is always a good thing. And confirmation that Gaiden is canon. Mm-hmm. Not, not, stri- not strictly true. Yeah. Confer- <laughs> if one wants to Not interpret that way, true. there's confirmation that Barry and Leon were part of a little anti-umbrella organisation, which is good enough for me. Good I don't enough. know. I don't know about you. Good enough for your head cannon. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Uh, by the time this podcast comes out, there may be some more additions to the law room. John, you've, you've got some other things we're working on. I'll be adding them to the website as soon as possible. But there's some more supplemental material from uh, Remake Biohazard 2002. Yeah, so the next section we're going to focus on is Remake, as you say. We've got full translations of Wesker's Report, the newest version that was released with the uh, HD remaster. We've got um, Wesker's Report 2. We've got translations from the Biohazard Kaita Shinsho, which has lots of supplemental material, lots of extra information on the creatures, the virus, and, you know, a sort of overview of what's going on in the background of the mansion incident. Um, a couple of other guidebooks and the Samurai Edge story as well, which obviously tells the history of Joe Kendo and his involvement with the Stars team and goes into a little bit of history of how the Stars was formed and a sort of timeline from inception up until the mansion incident. So hopefully we'll get all that finished in the next couple of weeks and it should be out sometime by the end of may so yes keep an eye on our socials uh, because we'll advertise when they are available that does finish all our site news so we now turn our attention to the main discussion of the podcast we're taking that deep dive into remake 4 and it's law prostrate yourself this is our holy body our divine providence and soul such a profound blessing for all. Lost planet. Welcome, my children. I am Osman Sattler, the speaker for our Lord. Tell someone who gives a shit. Foolish lambs. Why do you deny grief? Now, abandon your body. Obey. Obey the voice of our Lord. 
sweet child, do not resist. <laughs> Pray forgive these wicked sinners. My faithful disciples shall deliver to you your penance. Now, child, you need not be afraid. Submit your body and release yourself from fear. So here we are again. In this final part of Remake 4 coverage, we are looking at the ever thorny issues of the lore added to a particular remake. What I want to do is basically indicate that this podcast discussion is going to be quite focused on the law within the game. So we plan to do more of an overview podcast in the future, and we'll talk about that towards the end of this discussion. But we're going to be focusing on the new additions that have built up. So historically, Resident Evil 4 was criticised, wasn't it, for being quite separate from the wider canon when it came out. It was very much, in all intents and purposes, a reboot. And apart from Leon and Ada and Wesker, it was quite separate from, at that point, the main line. But thankfully, things changed, and Resident Evil 5 in particular really dragged Resident Evil 4 into the canon, kicking and screaming, some might say. Uh, Separate ways, of course, from the original also helped uh, enormously. So... What I think a lot of people thought, and and to an extent it's done, and this is what we're going to kind of be you know focusing on. Remake Four had this kind of unique opportunity of actually developing the game without a burden of law behind it, because historically, as I said, there hasn't actually been a huge amount of law with Resident Evil Four. So two and three, I think we discussed when Remake Two was first announced. Well, how are they going to do this? There's been about 500 games that have gone to the RPD. What about its geography? Are they going to mention the Outbreak characters? Is the statue going to be moved? Are they going to put the gas in? All, all this kind of stuff. And we thought, how are they going to, you know, how are they going to try and tie that all in? And of course, they just didn't didn't even try. Remake 4, you know, from its, its base was like, well, you know, the actual story of Los Illuminados is so self-contained, they could run in any direction they wanted to. And as we know, they kind of kept it quite faithful. But they did add quite a lot of new interesting tidbits, and that's what we're going to be talking about today. So before we get into the uh, nitty-gritty, just some brief impressions from everyone here. Uh, we'll start with Batman. Do you think the the additions have been good for the series or for the for this particular game? Do you think the story is more fleshed out now, and does it feel a little bit more cohesive than the original did when it came out? Absolutely, for me. I think you sort of hit the nail on the head there because the original game wasn't burdened with all this massive law behind it like the Raccoon City games was. You know, we were all terrified of various retcons and mistakes cropping up and, you know, Resident Evil 4 Remake was refreshingly free of all that. It could basically do what it wanted to and the original game was so bare bones it was hard to see really where they could go wrong. You know, all they had to do was really flesh out the characters, give us some background on the village and backstory on what's happened prior to the Plaga taking over, background on the Salazar family, um, make us care about, you know, villains like Sadler by showing us a bit of history with his family and obviously the origins of the Los Illuminados and this game did all that and for the most part I think it's done it really well. From a law point of view this game is probably in my top five in the series now. I'm really pleased with what they've done. Some of the changes yes they're obviously going to jar with games going forward uh, you know the likes of Resident Evil 5 with the certain changes they've made to the Plaga but the changes they have made even though they don't necessarily correlate with what's going to come with later games the changes actually make sense for me 
you know, it never really made sense why Sadler was the uber leader in the first game if his parasite was no better than the likes of Salazar, Krauser and um, Mendes. They all had the same plaga, but for some reason Sadler was the de facto leader and none of them could do anything about that. They've obviously changed that by having Sadler. He's the only one who has a dominant species plaga, which makes sense. Then they've created this superior species plaga, which is basically just a subordinate plaga, but it doesn't take over the host's brain, which means you retain your free will. That makes sense because in the original game you'd think well if everyone was infected and they've sort of regressed how have they managed to develop all these really complicated bioweapons you know things like the regenerator and the novistador how have they done that if they're all infected with subordinate plagas and they, they lose all the minds you know the superior species plagas now address that so that makes sense the individual character moments you know Leon this feels like a proper sequel to remake 2 you know Leon has properly progressed as a character now Leon in the original Resident Evil 4 was absolutely fine but it, it didn't really feel like it was the same character from the original Resident Evil 2, whereas Remake 4 Leon, it's naturally the same character from Remake 2 Leon, it just feels like he's naturally grown. So yeah, so for the most part I'm really pleased. The only thing I was disappointed by was Krauser potentially not being aligned with Wesker or Ada anymore. I mean, it could still well turn out that is the case once separate ways comes, but from what we've seen so far, he appears to be completely committed to the uh, the Los Illuminados. And obviously the changes with Operation Javier, things like that I didn't like because they were just so unnecessary. You know, the changes didn't benefit the plot, whereas the changes with the Plaga did benefit the plot. So for the most part, yeah, I'm, I'm really, really pleased with what they've done. The good news is that we'll be covering all that in even more detail in that brief introduction. Thanks, John. <laughs> Sorry. Love it. Sorry. Uh, Romby, what about you? Where do you see this fits for you in terms of the, the overall kind of lore improvement or more of the same? No, I'm kind of with John in the sense that, like, it's interesting to see the changes. And I think the bits that have kind of been fleshed out are kind of more interesting and kind of explain things. But obviously, then I'm, I'm just as confused by things like the Operation Javier. Like, it seems an unnecessary change because it doesn't benefit anything in the game seemingly unless they feel like it just gave more motivation for Krauser directly for the circumstances that it seems just to be him and not connected to West Grenade so they thought well we need to explain this and so they changed it but it doesn't seem to be the right change I think if the narrative had stayed the same it still would have made sense I think this is the thing that I've always had with the, all the remakes it's a case where like I really think that by design, remakes give you the opportunity to really cohesively connect things and kind of create a narrative continuity within themselves that improves, able to, to basically retcon on all the problems and make new connections. And I think that's the one failure that across all these remakes, and 4 includes that. We obviously treat the first game as you've well introduced you know, it was relatively standalone and it wasn't until later when sequels and DLC concepts and stuff started to come through that you could start to go back and fill in the gaps. But you had that right from the start with these remakes and yet I feel like Capcom has actively avoided connecting things a lot more than they have and 4 does probably more connections than anything to its other titles in that, in that sense, but it still kind of holds itself back. And if you look at two, it was like, well, you had a real good opportunity to combine two and three's narratives here, a lot more like crossover. And yet 
if anything, there's less than there was between even the OG 2 and 3, because Jill doesn't go back to the RPD, and you have less like, narrative follow-through. 4 does the same thing. Like, you had every perfect opportunity to go, right, well, we've got this universe now, and this stuff that we have reason to connect this game to. And yet, again, they kind of just hold back on doing that. And so I think that's probably my biggest frustration with these from a law perspective, is like, when you get the nitty-gritty details, and there's more details, it's cool, and it's awesome. But I mean, I'm not as much of a canon stickler as, as some people, and that's that's no slight against anyone who is. But I do like the idea of narrative cohesion, like that there's a continuity and that there's like it doesn't have to be all perfect and I don't expect everything to line up, but you've got this perfect opportunity to create and delve into a, a connective tissue that basically builds a universe. And it, it feels like these remakes and, and including 4 have actively avoided some of that. But at that same point, 4 is probably the least offender of them. It's the one that's more narratively true to its original. It's embellished and improved on certain areas. Very few of it had, what was in there has been reduced. And if so, it's summarized in a way that feels suitable to the summarization of sections of the game so yeah i don't know it's uh, it's a tough one and it'd be an interesting conversation ahead i think that's an interesting point and i think and i i'm, I'm going to include village as well in this i think capcom spends a lot of time thinking about how to make the in-game storyline as cohesive as possible so john's examples are quite good they thought oh well you know Krause is perhaps a bit difficult to work out. You know, let's just make him a loss of Numenados. That makes sense within the storyline. You know, they've put that backstory in it. It's just made it a better product in terms of what they're going for within the game. I can't help but feel that when connecting to the wider universe, Capcom may be a little bit lazy and cheap with their connections in that they think, oh, we better chuck something in there. I'm referring to Lewis being part of the Nemesis program, which mm. by itself, I go, that's fine. You know, absolutely, it, make, it makes perfect sense, but we could expand upon it or we could just chuck a photograph in and keep everyone happy. Oh, we like the idea that the village in village is very old and spencer visited here should we explain too much oh no nah, chuck a photograph and he just walked by and go oh, I, li- I like that symbol it feels like the I-, I don't know i have no evidence it just feels that there's a lot of pressure on getting the in-game storyline better which i think they do and i th- as i agree with john in what he's saying about remake 4 is structurally better narratively better right across the board but when it comes to doing what you said rob that kind of wider bits it's all a bit oh it feels like last minute quick what are we going to do and it's almost illustrated in a law room isn't it let's be honest it's their new go mm. <laughs> it's just oh quick put something in i don't know that's how i feel but i mean you could say village is arguably a worse perpetrator for it because that's proper mainline whereas the remakes we're not quite sure what they're trying to do yet with with the remakes in terms of its overall canon we'll talk about that in a future podcast but i don't know i, I think they concentrate so heavily on the in-game storyline quite rightly and then the last bit seems to be you know and that's i think the thing that's frustrating to me is that i can see that there's actually thought process and effort put in to those sorts of things Mm. and yeah it seems like yeah as i said narratively remakes give you this opportunity to go back and put more ties in or or smooth things out so that there's a consistency across them and yeah it seems to be the avoidance it's like there's some reason i don't know if it's i don't think it's like laziness i don't think it's that i think there is a conscious decision on trying to make sure that these remakes while they're part of a universe are kind of almost treated standalone i mean narratively you could compare that to even the animated cg movies right and like there's been very episodic 
mostly narrative focused within the realm they slot narratively into the existing timeline but they don't disturb or upset the other parts around them too much i mean it's not until now that we're getting a, essentially a proper sequel to any of them and even then i suspect that story will be mostly singly told so if you hadn't seen the previous one it's not going to impact on your enjoyment it's going to be understandable so i think maybe that's their focus they go right if, if a player hasn't picked up resident evil 2 remake and resident evil 3 remake they can still pick up four and relatively still follow the story, still understand stuff. And it doesn't matter if they don't know what this is or that is. It's explained in the game what the, it means to the character or what the narrative is. And you can just enjoy it for what it is. But I think that is a missed opportunity. You can have both. You don't have to have one mm. or the other. You can have both of those things. And I think so, Capcom so, has been a bit shy. The modern Capcom has been a bit shy, shy to yes. do it. <laughs> shy is a better word than lazy. <laughs> shy. Yeah. Sunstone, what about you, my friend? Where do you feel the lore in Remake 4 is? I'm not going to cover the ground that you guys have just already touched on because it'd just be repeating what you've said. But I'm, I, you know, I mostly agree for them for the most part. I think areas where I found it surprising was everybody thought I think the Remake 4 was going to put this big band-aid or plaster over the problems that the original Resident Evil 4 created. And obviously, as I've talked about before, Resident Evil 4 created an issue so bad that we've basically had to experience a near 17-year course correct through various corrections and revisions and Umbrella Chronicles and Resident Evil 5. And all these things have kind of tried to inform back to this game to make it more relevant. And I think a lot of people saw the remake as a really good opportunity to like clarify exactly what happened with Umbrella and things like that. And outside of the areas that you guys have just talked about, in some ways the remake is more vague and it's baffling in some ways. So like anyone, you know, we all joke about stock prices crashing and, you know, for all intents and purposes, Umbrella is finished. But that's ironically more than what the remake yeah. gives you. And it's kind of hilarious in that, like the disposal of Umbrella is even less within the narrative of the numbered games now if you just play the remakes like remake 3 ends with you know jill swearing she's gonna take down human greed and then remake 4 comes along and we don't even address it in the intro really it's not like you know the original uh, version this wrong. is the irony to me of what i was moaning about before is that if at the end of the day they have got this big idea of how they driving the remakes towards a we didn't get rid of umbrella the same way we originally did yeah because xyz it's gonna be like oh my god this was their master plan all along yeah and i find that ironically humorous that it's even less cohesive in some ways if you play the games in order like the remakes in order it's even more murkier now than it was originally and that was the big thing that i think everybody expected this game to fix with regard to what you guys have just said about being lazy with introducing elements that could tie within the greater series. I just think they're just pleasing the crowd in some ways. They're just introducing fan service, but it's all very surface. So, like, they give you a collective cheer because they've put Rita Phillips in Remake 2, but then introduce a narrative that actually kind of makes Outbreak not able to happen. They throw in Operation Javier and the community collectively goes, fucking hell, yes, from the trailer. And then the game reveals that Operation Javier is essentially completely different to what we you know, knowing the standard canon in the prime timeline or whatever it is we call it. So I'm really torn on the the sort of fan service stuff that it gets to the point where I almost wish they hadn't bothered if they're kind of twisting what the original references mean now within the wider narrative. And I'll just finish this brief introduction by saying I recently re-listened to episode 31 of the podcast, which is our first reaction to Remake 2's announcement. And if anyone has... A spare two hours give it a listen because it's fascinating because in it we basically declare you know batman included and myself 
that the remake timeline will have to exist entirely on its own. Like, there's no way that these games and whatever they do, whatever storyline additions they add, can weave and tie in with the main storyline. And I just find it interesting that there has clearly been a shift. Because I think even you, John, now are a bit warmer to introducing elements if they don't contradict or anything like that. It's just interesting to see how our mindset has changed indeed in like seven years. Yeah, but I think in our defence back then, I don't think we anticipated how far this remake train was going to go. And if anything, since these remakes started four years ago, the concept of canon has become less and less important every single day. I agree, yeah, unfortunately so. Um, it's the hard reality of it. Yeah. I don't know. It's a difficult one. I don't want to get bogged down in what's canon, what what isn't. At, no. the, at the end of the day, I really enjoy the added lore they've introduced to this game. And, and one of the ways it is so successful is, you know, Sean's talked about all the retcons that the remakes of Raccoon City have introduced there. You could take everything Remake 4 has introduced and basically lay it on top of the original game. And pretty much 95% of it would all work and fit fine. Yeah. You know, and that's, yeah. that's testament to how successful the, the lore is in this game, I think. Yeah, it, it's certainly from my perspective, the two most successful remakes in terms of taking the original and bolting on bits in a respectful way are Remake 1 and 4. Yeah, absolutely. But there's a similarity with those two, because both are, from a geographical point of view, standalone. No other game really takes place. Well, no other game took place in the original mansion. No other game takes place in the village. So there was that geographic... Uh, yeah. ability to expand which I, th- I think helps and also i think the fact that like the remake one was a remake of a camera angle driven game and it was done the same and likewise this is the first remake of an over the shoulder game so yep. in a sense all you're doing in some areas is just making it look nicer remake two and three very much needed an entire overhaul to be relevant to people today i think mm. and that's where the reimagining aspect of it comes into it more yes absolutely Ashley. What's happening to me? Ashley, is this the first time you've coughed on blood like this? You want to start explaining? The cough, the blood, is caused by something called a plaga. Okay. You saw those people, right? But you have the same thing inside you. The same thing that made them like that. This, what you're experiencing, these symptoms. They're only the beginning. I don't want to become like them. You are, well, lucky. You see, at this early stage, the parasite, the plaga, it is possible to remove it with the surgical procedure. And all you need is some know-how. And oh yeah, the right equipment. Wait, you too? No worries. See, I have a plan. But you're going to have to trust me. Great, we're partners then. Hey, why are you... No time for any questions. The clock is ticking. Why are you helping us? Because it makes me feel better. Let's leave it at that. We'll contact you later. Well, let's take a uh, you know deeper look then into the specific law, and we're going to start with my particular favourite area, which is the monsters, the BOWs, because there's been quite a lot of changes here. I would say for the better, and John touched upon it in his introduction, just talking about the superior species Plaga, and I think it's probably worth to start on that, and then we can kind of 
talk about some of the other BOWs that we fight in the game and how they've changed. So, John, you, well, you succinctly told that the, the Superior Species Plaga, a, a new version of the Plaga, has been quite a few in the Prime timeline now, after 4. But this one, as you said, doesn't take over the head of the host or the brain of the host, meaning that they retain their intelligence and free will, which is that distinction that we, don't, as you said, we don't get in the original, but it makes there to be three layers of superiority and infection almost. You've got, you know, the people that are completely taken over, which is normal Plagas, then you've got people that are taken over but retain free will. And for some reason, they still want to continue on with their work, but there's a handy file, isn't there, in, in Remake 4 that kind of says why they still want to do the work. They've seen what the normal Plaga does, and you know, n- no one in their right mind would go, oh yeah, this is great. Um, <laughs> but you can see the effects of the dominant Plaga has on even the superior species Plaga. I think you know, the file talks about the, you know, that complete submission um, you know, to free will. It's almost like they feel they're being released almost, even though they're being under complete control. Praise the holy insects and things like that. Um, you know, there's all sorts of... Well, it's very cultist, isn't it, I suppose? Um, but even infected with this superior one, they are under complete control of the dominant plaga and they feel that they're doing God's work, or, you know, Sadler's work in this case. So that's quite a good explanation as to, you know, why they continued their work and then Sadler retains the dominant plaga. We'll come to the amber in a minute. But, you know, uh, John, is there anything else you wanted to add on to it as to what, why you feel, you know, that this was a good addition to the lore? Or if anyone thinks it differently, do you think it actually mur- murkies the water in particular with what we know going forward with RE5? I think it just makes the plaga a much more effective bioweapon. It's like what I said in the intro. When you're infected with a, um, a subordinate plaga, the host regresses and basically becomes so simple-minded that they're basically useless for any sort of complex task other than being like a docile workforce sort of thing. And when you look at that concept, it's like, well, how have they been able to study the parasite and perform you know genetic manipulation experiments and create things like the u3 and the the regenerators how have they managed to do that if they're effectively not much better than zombies you know in terms of intelligence so the superior species plaga now answers that question because you retain all your faculties if you are some leading scientist you will retain all your knowledge and expertise but you will still be at the mercy of osmond sadler if he commands it because he's got the dominant plaga he can control them all so it's the perfect weapon in that sense and obviously this is the new plaga that ashley and leon have been infected with so leon won't regress into a zombie-like state like he would in the original game he'll retain his sense of self but he'll be completely subservient to sadler likewise ashley when she gets sent back to the us and back to the white house she'll be the same old ashley no one will suspect anything but she's now subservient to sadler it just makes much more sense than the original did in that respect and the files have done well explaining it here saying all the researchers have been infected with it there's a captive researcher who's like oh yeah we're all done for now we're all going to get infected with this plaga and become slaves and and that's exactly what happens and that's what makes the Los Illuminados so powerful and it gives more credence and more believability to their plan of world domination rather than the original game which was yeah we'll infect Ashley with a subordinate parasite and then send our one knackered battleship uh, with 200 Ganado on it to invade the United States you know it's it's just it's much better in this version and Sadler's dominant plague are now being a one-off you know makes it much much more valuable and then we've potentially got a fourth variant as well depending whatever the amber is because yeah. that's hinted to be even greater so you know it's an improvement it's it's better I think how in the original I 
struggle to remember. Was there actually any explanation as to how the original BOWs were created, or was Lewis and his research team just kept alive as humans to do all this work, or were they always depicted as being infected as well do we know well there's no mention that this is one of the problems of the original game there's absolutely nothing at all there's no mention of any uh you know lewis aside there's no mention of any research team any scientists you know you get vague references to the various creatures being made via a combination of you know genetic manipulation and what off but they don't go into any great detail like they do with like t-virus bow's um, it, you know, it was all left very, very vague, and and even this game, it probably still doesn't go into as much detail as it should, but at least gives us answers. You know, we get um, the fella who works for um, Salazar, I forget his name, Isidore, whatever he's called. He, you know, he develops the U3 series, and it tells us how he does it. Yeah. Um, and likewise, we get a couple of files on the creation of the regenerators as well. So. It just makes sense now because it's clarified that, yeah, the Los Inubinados have got a team of researchers and they've been given this special parasite, so they retain all the faculties, they're still good to go, but now they're completely loyal to Sadler. It's just a massive, massive improvement. I think that helps, but in terms of, there's a couple of offshoot points then we want to talk about is the superior species Plaga. In the original, we know that Krauser and others had the dominant species Plaga. And that is what is captured by Ada and sends it to the rival organization, whatever company she works for. And then Wesker sends his team down and extracts the dominant plaga from the dead body of Krauser. So because of that, if if my memory serves me well with RE5, they then use that data to then create the type 2, type 3, type 4 plaga we see in Kajuju. Yes. So that creates a bit of a sticking point unless i mean we, we are ca- i'm caveating this enormously because we don't know what's going to happen in potentially separate ways if you know if, if it comes along they could i suppose potentially still take it from sadler's body maybe yeah that would be the obvious workaround wesker gets it from sadler's corpse instead of krauser that's where the one plot hole of remake 4 comes in is um why do mendez salazar and krauser mutate the way they did in the original because that's indicative of having a dominant plaga, which we know they don't have. And one of the files uh, specifically states about the superior species is there is nothing special about it. It doesn't have any special variability other than mm. the host retains their mind. So why can they suddenly mutate so extremely? And and that's something I hope separate ways will address. Unless it's got something to do with this black water it's clear that they've potentially got this superior species parasite and maybe ingestion of this black water will help them develop these abilities to mutate. I don't know, but I just hope it's something separate ways will address. Because it's almost done on will, on command, isn't it? Certainly Krauser's um, has always been that way. He could you know, bring up his mutation as and when. Salazar doesn't go into the Queen Plaga like he does in the OG, which you could, could say, oh, you know, perhaps that's a reason for his mutation mendez you could say well he had a barrel of explosive or petrol chucked at him that's why he went the way he did because otherwise as what the game is saying is that potentially you could have had hundreds of uber plaga bosses how many of their research teams could have all become these very special very hard to kill boss fights basically as you said the superior species is near identical bar not going into the brain then why didn't, or how, you know, what would have prevented them just going, you know, and getting really angry because they've spilt some blood or something, and then they just suddenly mutate and they get, they get this, you know, this spike just coming out of them and causing a muck. Who knows? 
So yeah, you could be right. Perhaps they do need a little bit more meat on the bones, so to speak, as to what controlled the mutation, if anything. Yeah, it's the one thing that Capcom seemed to have overlooked. With this being a remake, whether they've just copied the boss fight template of the original game and not realised that the story changes they've now made suddenly make these aspects not make sense anymore. So I'm hoping they've not overlooked it, and as I say, I hope separate ways will address it in some capacity. You know, Leon specifically asks Krauser if he's being controlled by the cult, and he says, no, no, I've got absolute free will. Mm. Um, This has always been an issue with Plaga for me. I've always found with the bosses, the mutation's always so weird, and, you know, with a T-virus, you could, you know, pick any animal that's infected with a T-virus, you'd have a good idea if it's going to become big, scarier, or what, you know, there's quite a lot of consistency with the T-virus. The Plagas in 4 and 5, not only are they seemingly quite random, but they also seemingly react to the environment that they're around as well. So, you know, I'm thinking of Ricardo Irving, just happens to mutate into an aquatic type creature, (laughs) which is handy because he's on a lake. They're very video gamey, aren't they? Which is fine, but we've always tried to I said, dig that a little bit deeper to try and work out why that would happen. And it's very hard with the Plagas. That's why I've always had a, a long-term issue with it, because there is very little consistency in uh, what they do. And this is a problem that sadly has continued in the series ever since, all the way up to Village. But in fairness, that aspect has always kind of been there, because there's a file in Umbrella Chronicles where Wesker theorises that does the host's mindset influ- mm. influence the mutation of the virus, because, well, if you read the Umbrella Chronicles novels, Sergei Vladimir is obsessed with, like, pain and suffering, and when he transforms, he literally gets ripped apart by thorns. Weskin writes that down in his journal and says, well, if that's the case, if he's obsessed with pain and he mutated like that, is that the virus doing that? And then he wonders, you know, what will happen to him? And that's an interesting parallel with, as you say, with the Plaga. Mm. Morpheus too. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Same sort of thing. Hmm. Yeah. What What about you, Sean? Where do you see the superior species plaga? Yeah, I, I don't have really much more to add. I mean, I think again, you touched upon it, Nick. That I think if if you sort of try and link it up with RE five, then it's going to cause some minor headaches. I don't think it's going to be quite as bad as like law breaking as such. But within certainly within the context of the remake, and this is kind of what we were saying earlier, like this in terms of it, like the remake four being a standalone entry, it does address quite a few issues that the original game presented rob i mean yeah there isn't much i mean john's basically explained and and yourself have explained exactly what the issues are i mean yeah it is a it is a confusing situation with having characters that it's that classic yeah it it, it was it wasn't broke didn't need fixing because the the way it made sense narratively and four made sense for the og version made sense for its version that it had but now that you make it's that domino effect you make a change here you have to explain something else down the line and sometimes those things just aren't going to line up and i think this is just one of those things that they've tried to answer another question and fix or potential what they considered a bigger issue and it's made a slightly smaller issue in the at least at the stand but as you currently said maybe the dlc will address some of this and make bits of it more clear or it won't and it'll just be its own thing or it'll make things more confusing we won't know until it does but i think it's a it's a thing in a nutshell really you you could apply this to a lot of the things in the game that have they've changed they've created these little loops i guess it's worth caveating up just briefly that it is frustrating that we're being 
sort of arbitrarily made to wait for separate ways because like ironically you know separate ways in the original was announced before the gamecube release came out it's what caused a lot of problems at the time with the you know the sort of sales for the gamecube you know a lot of people accused them of sabotaging their own sales because people knew a ps2 version was on the way with expanded story and it just feels like we're in a separate ways waiting room at the minute that we're, we're sort of formulating an entire podcast around questions that may yet get answered <laughs> months down the line and that's going to be kind of frustrating because it's going to date this podcast but th- this is this is the content we try to provide for you all <laughs> and, and it will be a nice time capsule of an episode if nothing else well they all are we, we have a very hit and miss predictions history but that's all part of the fun we mentioned the black water as well so this was a new thing they added and i think a lot of criticism i certainly had of the original resident Evil Four was why was there lava in northern Spain, and this castle seemingly sitting on, you know, a, a liquid that will destroy bricks if left to just sit in a lava. You know, this is not Bowser's castle, people. Lava does destroy things. So I was pleased that they got rid of the lava. I was pleased they got rid of a lot of the nonsense of, you know, the, the back end of the water room or whatnot. But it was replaced with an interesting concept of this kind of black water, which was something I don't think any of us saw coming, really. But it's like a, it was a secretion. That was used to help make the uh, novice, novice, novice star the bugs. The bug, we call it the bug, the bugs, the novice stars. Do you think this is a good addition, or at the moment, again, are we are we still in the area of Gurgle? We're not sure yet. Well, yeah, I mean, it's the one aspect that they didn't explain at all, really. I mean, it's clearly important. You know, it seems to be secreted by the plaga. When Salazar mutates, he spits gallons of the stuff out at Leon. They seem to be stockpiling it in the castle, because like you say, the Hall of Water is just full of pools of this black liquid now. It's clearly used to help with the gene manipulation experiments in creating the various creatures, and it's also used for ceremonial purposes because we see it given to Ashley. And like you said in one of our other conversations, Nick, I think it acts like the Cadu parasite. It just helps the assimilation of the parasite. It maybe speeds it up, uh, makes it a bit more effective. But if you ingest this liquid without having a plaga inside you, it has a negative effect and sort of drives you into a state of madness. Mm. But we don't know what's in it, do we? I think this is the... It comes from within the plaga. They secrete it, and it obviously has something to do with how they take control over a host. And, you know, that's why it's valuable. That's why the stockpile it at the castle. But, yeah, we really do need a couple of files, hopefully in separate ways, to explain exactly what it does. Could it be what courses through a human's veins when they're infected? Is that, like, actually what is going through, like, Leon and Ashley's arms? Yeah, possibly, yeah. I think oh, it's yeah, a good way shot. to track that. Yeah, and, it, you know, it, it obviously helps the Plaga gain control over its host. But as we see from like the prisoners who get tossed down that pit in the castle, if you drink the liquid without having a plaga inside you, it has a negative effect. It just drives you mad. What's interesting, if if it potentially is the stuff that runs through a human's veins, then the original did allude to that with Leon's hallucination in the cabin after the lake battle. Yes. Because he sees, he sees this black substance sort of rushing up his arms, doesn't he? Yeah, he did. Another interesting aspect of this liquid is whether it gets transmitted into an unaffected person if you get bitten by a plaga animal. Because we see in uh, Lewis's grandfather gets bitten by what he describes as a wolf, which we think must be a colmilos, however you pronounce it. And he is infected with this madness. And this happens... 1981, I think, according to the family photograph. So that's 12 years before the, the Los Illuminados actually approach the village and infect them all. 
So where has this madness come from? And I think the village chief says in his journals as well that you know this madness is spreading, and and that's how the the cult eventually tricks the village into accepting the plague because they say this will cure you of your madness. So I'm wondering if you get bitten by a Colmelos or a Navistador or whatever, it transfers this black liquid into you, similar to how the T-virus would transmit, I suppose, and, and you know, you gradually become mad to the point where Lewis's grandfather killed himself, or Mendez killed him by burning the cabin down. That has some big implications that suggest then that even at that point, if it's a secretion from the Plaga, that means a Plaga was wild in the 80s that wasn't fossilised or mummified or whatever it was before they dug it up. Yeah, we're a little bit hazy on the timeline of when the Los Illuminados actually got hold of the Plaga because if you go by the Salazar family chronology, it seems to be the early 90s when Ramon is still a young boy. You know, he's a sickly boy and his mother invites the cult in because they say they can cure him and all the cult does is murder the seventh Castellan, his father, presumably murder his mother and manipulate Ramon into undoing the seal of the plague. But as you said, this wolf, this infected wolf, whatever it is, seems to be, unless we're looking too much into it, you know, maybe, I don't know, he just got bit by a wolf and was infected with gangrene or something, I don't know. It could do with being a bit better explained. Or maybe the Los Illuminados were in the castle for a good number of years, generating this black liquid and, and taking over the whole castle before they then came down to the village. Because the, the uncovering of the Plaga hasn't changed too much other than the kind of substances that it was fossilised in. They remained almost traditionally in, in big amber vaults, if you like. And that's where they excavated it. And we see, we see the kind of minecart levels and all the excavation going on. But that hasn't changed significantly, if at all. I, I don't know. I mean, yeah, could we have just had someone doing their own paleontology and then got infected and I don't know. Yeah, I, I'm not sure, but again, they sort of clarified that aspect by adding more details, because in the original game, we don't know how the cult found the parasite in the first place. All we know is we get some vague notion that the first Castellan defeated them in battle and then sealed the parasites underneath his castle, and, and even that itself's ambiguous. It's like, well, how did he do that? Did he literally grab every single person that was infected and just chuck them in a pit underground and cover it in concrete or what? But, you know, the remake clarifies that it's actually the Los Illuminados who find the parasites at the site of the castle um, in sometime in the 16th century. I can't remember what year it is exactly. And then that's how they build up their power base for like a 100 years. And then the first Castellan comes along in the, the 1700s and defeats them in battle and then expels them to the island. And then the first Castellan takes over the castle where the parasites are to sort of keep guard over them to make sure they don't fall into the wrong hands again. So that, again, was honouring the story of the original game, but it added some clarifying details, which makes it a little better. In the original, they were there's always been a bit of confusion about the translation of this, hasn't there? But in the game, you can see that the Plagas were fossilised, and they were almost revived from fossilised. But I think in other things, it said it was they were potentially mummified. But I don't think we ever saw that in the game. They're kind of were they brought back to life because obviously a fossil is a rock. <laughs> so yeah, the Japanese says they were mummified, but the actual in-game graphics you can clearly see they are fossilized in the rocks. So it's it's maybe a bit of both. This has gone down the Jurassic Park route, really, isn't it? Yeah, of being able to get, get the things out of the amber. But the fossilization in the original game never made much sense anyway, because the parasites were only ever under the castle for a couple of hundred years at most, and that's not enough for something to turn into a fossil. 
Whereas Remake clarifies, well, actually, no, the parasites were there all along, possibly hundreds of thousands, millions of years, in which case some of them, yeah, probably are fossils. Mm. So, again, it's, you know, it's it's honouring the original story, but it's improving it, or expanding on it, at least. Yes, yes. Hey, got a smoke? I do, the kind you like. Now where's the amber? Fortunately, it's not on me at the moment. And you really should be telling me what a good job I did. Busted my ass and managed to hide it right before I got caught. Which is why I'm still alive. The deal was, we get you out of here when you deliver the amber. No amber, no protection, Louise. <laughs> Such a stickler for details, Hyde. Okay, then. I'll go get it now, how about that? And I do have something else I need to get, too. So the, new, the other new area, or the other new part of the Plagus that um, I think is going to be important for the, certainly for separate ways, is the, the amber. Now, we see in the game, toward, towards the end of the game, huge stockpiles of amber, and Lewis talks about it in some of the files. He says, oh, there's loads of it, and he just happened to, I'm guessing, having a stroll, and then sees a particular amber that, that interested him because of the shape, I think, and he takes it back, and through his research, finds that there is a gene present in the plagas that was in that particular amber that is the same gene that is present in Sadler's dominant plaga. Lewis gets all excited about it, but before he can do anything about it, it's confiscated. Do you think, this is to everyone, do you think that they're going to use the amber for the same future games? But, I mean, we already know that um, Wesker was after the amber um, from the from kind of ending cutscenes, but how important is it going to be going forward and are we going to see it again in separate ways? Well, it's possible that the amber is... I know it's hinted to be something greater than a dominant plaga, but it might simply just be another dominant plaga sample. Um, and we know Ada ends up with it anyway, but if they want to continue smoothly into Resident Evil 5, as Resident Evil 5 is now, then they'd probably have to do what you suggested earlier. They would have to... Wesker would have to get the dominant plaga from Sadler's corpse. But in terms of what the amber actually is, I don't think they'll explain it in separate ways. We might get a couple of files giving us a few more hints as to what it maybe can do, but I don't think we'll get anything more than that. You don't think it's just like it's just become the, the MacGuffin and it's just going right rather than an actual plaga, so we're just gonna use it. Because that would would that not still work if Wesker gets hold of an amber sample? then by definition he's kind of got the genes of the dominant plaga, which is what he would then need to help create the um, Magini. Kind of, it's, we're going around in, the, in a roundabout, but to get to the sa- exactly the same destination. But as far as we know, that, that one amber sample is completely unique, and obviously we know from the ending that Ada doesn't send it to him. How unique, though? I mean, that's the thing. Will they, get, will they just go, oh, you know, we'll find another one? Yeah, I, I don't think they'll go into it. You know, if anything, they will have Wesker get the dominant plaga genes he needs from Sadler's corpse. You know, the amber, whatever it is, I don't think we'll ever find out what it is. I think Ada will just send it to uh, the rival company executives and that'll be the end of it. We probably won't hear about it again. 
they're going to have Wesker front and centre in separate ways. This is his big comeback. So I'm sure through dialogue between the two of them, we'll get some indication of potentially what it is and what it can do. But I don't think we'll actually ever see it in action. I'm just thinking out loud now. We didn't see the Queen Plaga in Remake 4 like we did in the original. Do we think that the Amber potentially could be a Queen Plaga? The dominant species are like the the one below and then the normal one. That's the hierarchy of whatever the original Plaga is or was. Yeah, it's very possible. And that would be a cool explanation, actually. Because in the the Los Illuminados Bible, or whatever you'd call it, I was very intrigued by that imagery when the the cult member of that time, is it Adam Sadler? Not Adam Sandler. Adam Sadler (laughs) discovers the Plaga for the first time. And we see an image of what looks to be like a tree-like organism, which yeah. which is obviously very similar to the Endipire drawings we see in Resident Evil 5, which is also supposed to be a Plaga Queen. So I like that correlation, and that's that's quite a good theory you've got there of the Amber potentially being one of these queens, which would obviously make it supremely valuable. Such a fool, Mr. Kennedy, to have been bestowed with lore satellites. You talk too much. Failed. You vulgar, utterly uncivilized. Mongrel. Allow me to show you. So that's quite a cool little insight into, I suppose, the, the changes into the Plaga law. Rob, particularly, what did you, in terms of the other BOWs, did you prefer the remake or the OG? I'm particularly talking about Salazar. I think there's a lot of body horror with Salazar's mutation in the original game. You kind of see that, you know, he's, he's sucked in, isn't he? And then you, you kind of, he maybe feels sorry for the other, his bodyguard. He goes, oh, crap, off he goes. And then he just kind of like merges in and just kind of comes out into, you know, in, in this awful kind of beast thing. Whereas whilst I think Boss Fight is much better in Remake 4, in terms of what happened, I think there's a little bit more to it in the OG. I think that's also to do with the narrative stance that the way that the dialogue plays out in the original is a lot of um positioning him as such a small man that he's always above people you know what i mean mm. so when he turns into that monster he's inside it but he's up towering above you again i think it's just this design of a narrative concept to show the short man syndrome so yeah that body horror aspect is because you focus in the cutscene of a lot more dialogue in a cutscene of him inside the creature whereas it doesn't really happen in the remake he talks to you during the fight and you kind of just in a you know you see him in glimpses of him fighting it's not like yeah the narrative cutscene so i think that's what makes the impact of the og slightly feel different even though the design is obviously more mobile and the remake but it's basically not that different in an actual design concept so i don't know it's kind of a weird one don't think either is better than the other they're just different 
does any other comments on any of the BOWs? Can we talk about the regenerators? So we get a bit more information about the regenerators, regenerate doors. Sorry, if they've been changed. I mean, one of the things the remake does all round is just improve all the backstory. I mean, this has got some delicious files in it. The files in this game annoy me because in some ways they um, contain the worst of like what Resident Evil 4 did in that they were basically giving you a commentary on exactly what you're doing at that point. And then at best, they're like RE1 style deep dives into you know the biology of these creatures and you know like we've said before like the um pronunciation is going to be terrible but the novice doors or whatever they give you a great feeling of like the chimera of the, the original resident evil in like how they're born within a womb and things like that and it's all very grim and, and superb body horror if you're into that kind of thing i think all around i think the bow's if we're even calling them that, the backstories and the lore and everything attached to them are all infinitely enhanced with the remake, for sure. Um, with Salazar's fight, I'll put my hand up in the air and say I prefer the original, because <laughs> um, I really like the grounded nature of his location. I think it works well within the sort of hive that he becomes part of, and I really like the dynamic of that boss fight. The problem is, with the original, is that most people are armed to the teeth by that point, so the fight is over in very short time. I found his mutation in the remake nonsensical. What even is it? He kind of is like almost spider-like around, but it gives the impression that he's kind of flying, but he isn't because he's got these these weird like almost web shooters, Spider-Man style. That nonsense. is he not flying? I thought he was like a bat type creature. No, he's got little web shooters that he launches oh. out from various appendages that stick him to the walls. So he's not flying. He's actually walking around it like a spider. It's uh, very weird. Next time you play it, Nick, give a good look and you can actually see if he walks around the arena with his web shooter. Kind of, It's not web. It's it's just kind of like um, strange little stretchy appendages that stick to the walls. There is a lot of like tendrils along yeah. the walls and stuff. So when he falls into that pit, there is possibly, well, Plaga Queen could be down there. We don't know. There's definitely something down there because there's these sort of sentient tentacles crawling up the walls. So, yeah, I'll definitely have a better look at that. I say it's quite an intense battle. In this it, yeah, it's a lot harder. I'm just trying to get through it. Unless you use the egg trick, yes. Because the egg trick is, uh, I mean, it, they even give you a big clue. So I know it's intentional. It's not like an oversight on Capcom's part. It's totally meant to be in there. Mm. But it, yeah, And I suppose it's a nice skip if you're trying to do one of the harder challenges. Absolutely. So there's not a lot of added information with the um, with the regenerators. They just, I think the file just talks about how oh we, I've created new life. So a lot of it, I think, is down to the kind of visual mm. impact and you know that this separate plagas. I do prefer the idea that the kind of Iron Maidens were still present. If you know what I mean, they weren't. They kind of like mutated to become Iron Maidens. If you like, They're almost like a V act, aren't they? Yeah, I agree. In a world where the whole game is bonkers in terms of its monsters, that was oddly more believable than quite a lot of it. It seemed as like you know they are almost made up to be like you know indestructible. So let's give them one last hurrah. And I, they did test you quite a lot. And yeah, I like that idea because I wasn't a big fan of the Iron Maidens in the first game. It just seemed a little bit oh okay. You just want to make them a bit more tricky. But this flowed a bit better, I think. It doesn't really explain why they suddenly go all spiky on you, but, you know. Where were we with thinking the general consensus that the second Verdugo, which is basically, you know, as we know from a file, is now U3, will be a separate ways boss? 100%, yeah. Yeah. They can't leave a, a Verdugo just not 
answered just roaming around because the problem is their design is too iconic and too distinctive to just have one disappear from the narrative like it does in the remake i think we'll get a boss at the end of every not chapter but every kind of section in ada it's gonna be like a very condensed version of the entire game so i think there'll be one at the end so the end of the castle will be regenerated and sadler the island i'm not quite sure who they'll pick for the village whether they'll do um, a mendez battle maybe that's where the super chainsaw guy will turn up yeah He's not actually in the game at the minute. That, you know, the Mad Chainsaw demo actually has a piece of content that's not in the game at present. And I think uh, we'll probably see more of Mendez as like a Mr. X stalker type guy in separate ways, maybe. Because they're all obsessed with chasing Ada in the original game. You did mention about mutations, Nick, and I will say with bringing up Mendez um, that I do find the mutation sequences on the whole very weak in the remake. Mendez's mutation in the original is is a very like a John Carpenter esque thing, massive mutation where he sprouts this huge spinal cord and claws come out of his hands and everything. Yes. And in the remake, he just kind of is engulfed in fire and he just emerges mutated. It's really disappointing. And Salazar's the same in many ways. You know, you mentioned that you know in the original you get the sequence of him being engulfed. But again, it's another recent trait with Village. We never see Lady D really change. Oh into, yeah. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Into her bat form. And Miranda. The, Miranda the same. And um, Moreau's mutates underwater. Um, Heisenberg is yeah. behind... Yeah. It's like they don't want to animate it. Especially when you, you, know, you yeah, just remember like, how amazing like the Birkin mutations were on PS1 hardware. Mm. I think that's it, though. I think it's the technical requirements to have these things mutate in current generation design is a lot harder than what you should get away with in the PS1 era mm. where you're stretching polygons and adding limbs and stuff. It's probably a technical thing so they try to creatively get around it as much as possible. Oh, God, it's, it's a complete same. model change. Go back the further, thing, Jack. Yeah. Marguerite. The thing is, in a movie, I would say that's a genius way to avoid having to do like extravagant special effects or whatever, but in a video game where technically anything is possible if you just apply hard work and But I guess it's still it's still the same thing. It still requires more artistry because you've got to work out what the stages are in between and how to animate between those stages and it requires actual thought process. Okay. So we know what it's gonna start at and then we know what it's gonna end up. So how does that limb get there and how does that and where does the giant eyeball come from and where does the wings come out of like i could get it because yeah it's, it's just like it's a cheat it is a cheat it's totally a cheat and it probably does save time money and budget and design concepts and you know because you'd still achieve the same goal i want this thing to turn into that thing how can i do it creatively by getting around it yeah. do you even see sadler mutate into his spider form I can't recall the cutscene, so I'm I'm thinking it's not there. Don't think you yeah. see much. I think you get implication. I'm now, now you're making me question that. Whereas the original is very good because you get that close up of his face, and then it shoots out of like his body, and then the arms sprout out, and it's really really clever how it's done. Actually, that OG four cutscene. Doesn't the camera just go to Leon and Ada go? <gasps> And then, it yeah, that's why I can't recall it. And then, obviously, with the final bit where you've got the, the final additional section, like he, he just emerges. I tell you what, it makes um, uh, Simmons' mutations look incredible, doesn't it? It does. Who'd have thought Resident Evil 6 would be a trendsetter? It could be worse. We we could have a Lucas fade to black. As I say, you get Krause's arm transformation, but then during the fight, he ends up with the other arm, which just happens. Yes. Which is a good point. You talk about limitations, though, Rob. It could be very much an RE engine thing. It's not just that, yeah, the limitation thing, I think. I think it's a conscious design because, yeah, it just requires a lot of extra effort. And, yeah, it's design, concept, animation, 
texture work like because it's yeah it's merging one thing into another you know if you cheat it and make it work and i, I say cheat like it's a bad thing but it's a creative decision mm-hmm. like to get around it so even old jack norman did it as well didn't he they just have him explode against a veltro flag with a shower of blood and then he's a tyrant we're not going to unsee it now are we just going to caveat and go back I'm watching it Sadler has the giant arms pop out his back yes and then there's implication that there's more of that happening and then it cuts away to Leon and Ada and then you see some more arms popping out and then it pulls back from his face with the eyeball and then he's completely transformed so they've avoided all the main bit you just see the arms and then the eyeball so that you don't see anything else so yeah, yeah. it's creative I, watching it it has the impact but you definitely don't see like his robe disintegrate and his falling apart and his bits coming out of everywhere and his face changing into oh, the day. Yeah. Yes. I mean, let me just say, you know, to anyone listening, Capcom are absolute masters of their craft now. Like they've got all the the mocap studio down and everything, like their cutscene creation and everything is industry leading at the minute. You know, they're they're only really falling behind like the work that kind of Naughty Dog are doing now. They really are up there, I think, Capcom, in terms of what they're doing and, you know, in in production value and these look expensive. So any nitpicks that we're leveling at the games, they are literally on a very base level. We're not like tearing these projects apart. I don't even class as a nitpick. I'm impressed by that personally. Yeah. Because it, mentally, it's taken us to actually sit here and think about this before we go, hmm, did it do this? It's that whole trick of, you know, you did I think I saw it or did it happen? And you don't even take it in in the moment. You, it just happens and you accept it. So that's not a bad thing. I mean, no, like no, when no, I say no. to essentially cheat a transformation, it's not at its detriment. It still has the same impact. It's just different, you know, and that you realize, oh, gosh, you know, it's not until we actually start picking apart. And, and the only reason we even brought this up is that we have the OG version as a base for comparison. Like if this is an original game and that's how they did the transformation, we probably wouldn't even think about it. We would just go, Oh, they transformed. <laughs> because the game narratively is cut yeah, around yeah. the transformation. All good horror films, you, you fill in the blanks, don't you? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Or they show you enough that you make it feel worse. I mean, it's, it's very... Movies that actually show you full transformations are rare. You know, you're talking about your, like, American Werewolves in London and The Thing and, and so forth. A lot of movies, and, and, and these days, the CG takes over, you know, like... It, becomes too much of a cg transformation people kind of bulk at it because they go oh it doesn't look right you know like it looks a bit weird so i think it's always a good cheat even in movies if you can imply and show as little as possible Mm -hmm. it sometimes has bigger so yeah even in this day and age (laughs) you have come my child what do you want i simply wish to share this gift with as many as possible a humble wish, don't you think? You see, we are all connected through the holy body. And now your flesh and bones, your very thoughts, are already one with us. Oh, shit. Why do you reject serenity when you need only accept the sacred gift? Like she did. Sadler! <laughs> ah, yes, the time has come. our covenant. A good segue into some of the characters. I want to talk about Sadler first and the revelation that Adam Sadler is now part of the RE canon. But there we go. No, only joking. Only joking. But I think everyone. Don't, don't encourage them, Nick, please. I know. Everyone must have read Adam Sadler. 
first. But what? But um, Black Water sucks. It really, really sucks. Black Water <laughs> sucks. I'm very disappointed that the actor who played Sadler didn't model it on Adam Sandler's Little Nicky character. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> The thing is, the backstory of Sadler was very, very much welcome. I know we spoke in our review podcast how he perhaps doesn't have the campy, over-the-top personality anymore. And, you know, his appearance-wise is pretty much just a glorified Ganado in a hood. But mm. his actual, you know, storyline was was a lot more palatable. Um, and, a lot, you know, and learning about, you know, the Sadler's history and, more importantly, the kind of history of Los Illuminados really helped flesh out what he was trying to do and, you know, lead the group. And I think a lot of the environments helped with that as well. You know, the end bit on the island, I think it was almost described as like the old island, wasn't it? Or the, the old village or something like that. You know, we had the church and all, all that bit. That was all quite new and it flowed very well, I thought, as a kind of end game. A bit like a, ooh, okay, this is the heart of Los Illuminados. And um, obviously the Saddlers, obviously an, an architect of that. And I, I wasn't personally expecting to get anything on Saddler really, but it turned out quite well. Yeah, I mean, I think we were all just relieved, weren't we? Because the big prediction from a lot of the fandom was he was going to be connected to Umbrella somehow. And obviously we know in the final game they went a different way with the Umbrella connection. But I think it is better that he's not connected to the wider law for sure it's just like I'm guessing the whole area was just it almost mimics the Salazars I'm not sure if they were going for that but that was obviously the implication that on, on the island you had the Saddlers and then on the mainland you had the Salazars or potentially at different times but you know this long history of these two families dominating this particular region of Spain and then you know if you find all the dead people all their graves and you've got to try and remember the numbers and all that sorts but what did you think that history added added to the law yeah i thought it was good for the most part you know it gives some context into why the cult is based at the island for one thing you know we know now they were banished there in um, the 18th century by the first castellan they've spent the last 200 years sort of building it up with aspirations of retaking that castle because they know that's where the Plaga source is. So, you know, it was nice to read these epitaphs from various leaders of the cult in centuries gone by. I think the only disappointing thing was we got nothing from actually Osmond Sadler himself. No personal journals or anything about his own, you know, motivation and personal history with the mm. cult. That was the only thing I think that was lacking, really. But yeah, it was it was definitely welcome for sure because it was getting to the end of the game and I thought, well, we're just not going to get anything here. But then these graves sites kept popping up and yeah it was it was good what they did but again hopefully separate ways can elaborate on osman sadler a little bit more mm. i like that manipulation side of things it, it wasn't really touched on in the original too much and you know you're presented in the original with salazar being the castellan the king if you like you can even get his crown and then it, it is somewhat odd you've then got this some old dude who's in charge even though you've just kind of killed you know the king that has merged with the queen plaga yeah that's the person that i remake for i think you know with, with the help of the plaga explains what's happened and the kind of history of the salazars is quite helpful here with the fact that Ramon was actually close to death. Um, as you said, you know, they came in and saved him somehow. Uh, well, gave him the plaga, so I'm guessing. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, it helped in that way. So I, I think that's quite a good addition as well. Yeah, I mean, this sort of added a, a sympathetic touch to all three of the sub-villains, really. You know, Mendez, we get a nice thing now that he was clearly a good man, took over the village from his father, I think, learned to read and write for himself so he could look after the village affairs. He taught maths to the children. You know, he brokered deals with outside parties for fish and oil. 
So he was a just man with the best intentions of the villagers at heart and he was manipulated by the cult just like everyone else was. So the sympathy for him in that respect and likewise with Krauser, you know, he's so embittered with what happened in Operation Javier now with the loss of his men that he just wants, you know, ultimate power to take revenge. He's not evil per se. He's not got aspirations of umbrella taking over the world and restoring order and balance and whatever it is he says in the original game. And in his death scene, he sort of reverts back to how he used to be and makes amends with Leon in a small way. So I think that sort of sympathetic angle attached to all three of them added to their character depth a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I think with Krauser, we, as I said in the, I think I said in the review, he just kind of comes out of nowhere in the original game. He's basically introduced as being, this is your next boss fight. Okay, okay, right. And then, you know, you're supposed to believe that, oh, it's been a long time. You go, okay, is it? Fine. Uh, you know, and again, we, we get course correction with Dark Side Chronicles as well, which helps. And you're right in that everyone, I think when we all heard Operation Javier got a name drop, like, yeah, that's great. Let's not beat around the bush. Operation Javier in this is nothing like or to do with Operation Javier from Dark Side Chronicles. So that's a huge retcon or a change. And I don't actually think that they can fit at all together. I think that is a 100% retcon. I, don't, I think it's very hard to headcanon them to be the same event, hard as you may try. Well, I'm not sure. I mean... I think you could if you really wanted to. I actually reviewed a couple of the original files from Dark Side Chronicles um, in relation to Operation Javier, and um, the written orders file specifically states that um, the government will not get involved if you get captured or compromised by the enemy. Then you know the government will leave you for dead. And then there's another file, even though Operation Javier is just about Leon and Krauser going in, another file specifically states that um, the powerful people of Mixed Cottle Village and the United States government and the local government of Amparo have all formed a coalition to expel Javier and have been amassing military strength, therefore implying that it's a much bigger operation than just Leon and Krauser alone. So if you really wanted to, you could just say, well, Leon and Krauser have got their mission, but then there is other special forces teams in the area eradicating other drug cartels. You know, there's ways around it. I think rather than retconning it completely, I think they've just left it purposefully ambiguous. They've basically just added a few little details to explain why Krauser might be so pissed off, but they've purposely avoided mentioning anything else so people can just interpret it as they wish. We are just getting started, Rookie. Are you being controlled by that cult? This has nothing to do with them. I'm a free man who made a choice. Too slow. Haven't you learned anything these last two years? A soldier like you! Why would you work for these freaks? Why? You've forgotten what happened two years ago. Operation Javier? Do they, I, I can't remember, do they talk in Remake 4 that Operation Javier was a mission about BOWs or I thought it was quite drug focused? Well, yeah, it, all you get is that case report file where it says it's a mission to eradicate the drug cartels of South America and that they've been planning it for several years and I'm assuming it's called Operation Javier because Javier Hidalgo was the main man in that network of drug cartels in that area. It doesn't mention BOWs or anything like that, but then it was 
fairly recent intelligence in Darkside Chronicles that the US government were tracking an ex-Umbrella or one of the very last remaining Umbrella researchers who then got in contact with Javier and that's what led to Leon and Krauser going in. So even though the game doesn't mention any of the specifics, I think it can be integrated into it if you really want it to. You know, it's just a question of saying, yeah, there was other teams of soldiers in the area that were presumably under Krauser's command and they all got wiped out. And Leon and Manuela and Krauser were the only ones extracted, presumably because they had Manuela who had the T. Veronica virus in her blood. If it wasn't for that, maybe they would have been left for dead. Who knows? So you have to headcanon that there's additional parts of it, plus you'd have to headcanon that you never hear Krauser mentioning the other groups or communicating with them. Well, yeah, but this is the problem, isn't it, with remakes and stuff like this, because also in Darkside Chronicles, Leon says it's my first mission with Krauser, you know, implying that they've only just met, so to speak, and obviously that's been retconned now because we know Krauser's yeah. been training Leon for several years, so... <sighs> It's one of these changes that, you know, I didn't particularly like because it causes problems and at the same time it doesn't benefit the story they're trying to tell. I don't really understand why they just didn't stick with the original plot of Krauser being pissed off because he felt undermined by Leon, you know, that sort of thing. But hey-ho, it is what it is. It's Brandon Bailey all over again, isn't it, Sean? It's a name drop that actually, <laughs> when you think about it, oh, yeah, oh, wait a minute. Well, absolutely. I mean, I don't, I don't <laughs> doubt Brandon Bailey's responsible for the entire story of the remake series going forward <laughs> yeah it doesn't quite work i mean I, i'm very happy about operation javier mentioned but as when they change things like that i think they're going to leave it as with everything with the remakes intentionally vague and these people who are very hopeful that we're going to get javier dlc i think are going to be bitterly no. disappointed i just it's it's absolutely not going to be it's not going to happen they're going to probably chuck out separate ways they're going to do the follow-up mercs dlc to make adra and wesker available and then be done with it i think and then yeah. Please, please, with all my fingers crossed, RE9 next. Come on. <laughs> but no, I mean, the Javier stuff is... I find Krauser in this game maddening because he is probably the most... How to say it? With everything that John has said, he's the biggest problem we have with regards to making RE4 relevant with regards to the wider canon because he has received the most changes. And with Javier being so different, but then again, it's not necessarily a problem because it's not like everybody's playing Dark Side Chronicles week in, week out, are they? You know, it's not even available on a current hardware unless you subscribe to bizarrely like the PlayStation Network's top subscription and even then it's only a streaming game what I'm basically saying is like it, Dark Side Chronicles is the only place to play Operation Javier but it's not like people are doing that on a regular basis we, you know we're, we're not seeing people enter the community saying hey I, I've found Resident Evil through this great game Dark Side Chronicles you know so it goes back to that question of does it really matter and it probably doesn't it's only, it only matters to us <laughs> I'm not sure anyone's found Resident Evil because of Dark Side Chronicles. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Let alone someone going, oh, I'll play Remake 4. It, yeah, it's just a little bit frustrating, isn't it? It's like you give these kind of little tidbits and you go, oh, yeah, yeah, that's good. But it doesn't always work out the way uh, you would want. Patch me through. I've obtained the Amber. Excellent. Just one question. What are you planning to do with this? We do not pay you to ask questions. All you need to know is a new dawn is breaking. A hundred will give their lives so that just one may live. I 
am expediting that change. So, we're talking millions of casualties. Billions. Let's talk Ada Wesker, and I, I think we'll try and not do too much on these two, just because we are expecting quite a lot more information going forward. But Wesker adopts a similar role, but I suppose what we don't know too much is his position within the rival company. So at this point in time, he was, uh, in, in the original storyline, he was you know involved with this is the rival company's main game, and he was going around trying to bolster his position internally within the company, um, and which is why Ada was sent in as well. And, and that bit can be quite lost in in the game Ada's basically asked to spy on Wesker by other head people within the rival company of which Wesker is also one so it's like you know one boss telling the other you know watching the other boss we don't know the dynamics at this point too much and uh, I'm going to need reminding actually about the end as to Ada's uh, loyalty she doesn't appear to have been sent in by another member of the organisation I don't think well basically what happens is they both work for the rival company so they've both got the same employers Wesker since Raccoon City has built up his power base to the point where he's basically becoming too influential and the other rulers of the rival company are becoming very nervous about how much his power is growing so they turn to Ada and say look we want you to spy on him for us report his movements back to us and this is your loyalty test you know you either pick us or you pick Wesker and Ada at that point she doesn't give a shit about the rival company she doesn't give a shit about Wesker but she needs them both to help her get towards this mysterious ultimate objective that she has which we never find out what it is so she's faced with a choice and at that particular time it benefits her to send the Plaga to the rival company executives rather than Wesker why it does that we never find out but that's it in a nutshell Ada doesn't work for a completely separate organisation even though the dialogue might suggest that they both actually work for the same company it's just that company is in the middle of a civil war so to speak in the remake well in the remake yeah we still don't know and like i said this is wesker's big comeback so i expect him to be much more present uh, in this new iteration of separate ways i think he'll be on the radio tour all the time and we'll hopefully find out a lot more of what's going on in the background but from what little we've seen in this game i do think it benefits that some of the separate ways cutscenes have been integrated into the main campaign and likewise the assignment ada ending has been bolted onto this i think that helps it greatly because in the original if you were bothered about side games and never played a Simon Ada, you wouldn't even know Wesker was in this. Yeah. yeah, that's a fine point, yeah. And likewise, we didn't really know who Ada worked for. We didn't really care, did we? We were more just bothered about well, how she survived. You know, we weren't really given any, any background on her as to what she was doing until later materials came out. So I do think it, you know, it helps that we get some of these scenes in the main game now. It does amuse me as well. Again, that's another area where the remake just falter a little bit it's like the big moment between her and leon everybody was expecting the remake to sort of patch over the fact that leon already knew she was alive in the original game and we're hoping we're going to get that sort of dramatic tension between the two characters and in the remake is arguably less impactful than the, even the original game at this point it, it's humorous wesker's dialogue at the end seems to imply that they've accelerated the uroboros storyline because they have seemingly jettisoned the Umbrella Revival plot yeah. 
Um, as we all know in the original game, he wanted the Plaga sample because it would help him re-establish Umbrella, and that's nowhere to be found in this. And I was half anticipating that because, as we know in the original lore, his Umbrella revival plot goes absolutely nowhere anyway because his intentions change after he meets Spencer in Lost in Nightmares. And obviously we get Umbrella revived completely separately with Resident Evil 7, so I can understand why they've dropped that. But bringing the Ouroboros plan forward a couple of years does have its own issues with continuity but again separate ways will hopefully answer our queries if people follow me on twitter they'll know i've been collating information about how people feel about the originals and the remakes for a future podcast that you know we're looking to do later and aid has been a very interesting subject because without treading into two tepid waters despite the issues that people have had with regards to ada i've seen a lot of people respond that they actually like the fact that the remake allows you to see ada's dilemma on screen for the first time like in the separate ways version of the continuity when she portrays wesker she's very much aware that she's going to do it anyway because she's never really on wesker's team whereas the ending of the sort of post-credit scene of remake 4 you actually see her make this decision in real time like she's totally on board with Wesker until she has that conversation and then she says like the how ambitious thing and then she makes that decision to betray her and in in many ways it is possibly the most interesting Ada's been on screen in a while for a Capcom that clearly is struggling to know what to do with her it's almost like they finally took the promise of the RE6 ending for that character and actually ran with it for once by actually seeing her make a decision to do with her own fate that's going to you know have implications for her going forward it's interesting yeah it's a good point i hadn't thought about that but you actually do see a conflict an emotional conflict with her in that scene Uh, and it's very it's very superfluous you know she she makes that decision in half a second before she's putting the gun to the helicopter pilot's head but the point is we still see you know when she starts that radio call with wesker she's very much on board with him versus how she is at the end of that conversation so hopefully separate ways will really push that just makes the original RE2 Ada so bad though, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, it's so good. I'm just thinking, I'm just thinking about, yeah. We've been, as you said, so starved of, not of Ada, we've had quite a lot of Ada over the years, but not a lot of character development. It's She has been bizarre. the character that suffered the most, because I think, I think what frustrates about Ada is she's the character that has possibly had the most potential in terms of not only, like, character work, but visual. You know, you can do something different with Ada every time because she's that kind of character that you can literally reinvent her appearance with every single entry because it's fitting in with what the story is doing. She is dynamic in terms of, you know, she can essentially play a different character each time and it has to work within that narrative. She's the James Bond sort of character in, in many ways. And you've seen a Capcom sort of, clumsily fumble their way through what to do with her and their answer has been don't answer anything make her as mysterious as possible and hope that no one notices for like over 25 years <laughs> and it's just at this point with the remakes retelling her character again and still not having any real answers is just frustrating as hell it just doesn't work this time round. so actually doing what they did in the ending i actually appreciate it a little bit because you're seeing a change of character within her it just makes her arc in re2 what a great foundation for her you know yeah, love it anyway I digress, I digress. We should not focus on 1998 games. No, we must move ahead with the time. <laughs> oh, what the fuck? Hey, stop it. Hey, Yankee. Got your name? 
Leon. Quiet, type, eh? I'm Luis Serra. Guess you, me, picked the wrong spot to vacation, eh? Hey! Stop it! You move, I move. And I'm beat up enough as it is. I can see you're thinking. Bet you've been in spots like this before, huh? I guess. You're here looking for someone. <clears throat> One more guess. Maybe some missing senorita? Lewis, then. So, uh, one of our final characters I think we want to talk about. Lewis was in desperate need of something, wasn't he, from the original? And adding to his backstory was one of the best things I think Remake 4 did. Really good performance all round. And someone that, if you've never known, if you don't know anything about Lewis going into the game, he kind of treads that fine line between... I suppose he kind of plays the Barry role a bit from the original game. He's helpful, but then he's kind of like, not helpful. And then he's like, oh, you work for... You know, used to work for Umbrella. He's like, yeah. Yeah, but I'm I'm one of the good guys, kind of. But you know, and you don't trust him at all. But because it's a remake, we know you know where he's going, what he's doing, his demise, so to speak. So I think as a new player, I think um, if someone you know never played it before and the f- first RE game they ever played was Remake Four, I think they'd have a lot of fun with Lewis. I think he he actually has a really good arc in this, and I think you mentioned it in the last podcast, John, about having those ties to the village with his grandfather and then having the ties to the research and Los Illuminados. I mean, you're stretching it a little bit with, you know, he also works on the Nemesis program. <laughs> you know, fine, fine. But at least there is that a bit of meat behind his appearance rather than he's just that random cop from Madrid that's also a scientist. Okay. Yeah, I mean, you didn't get much in the original. I think there was a reference to his grandfather in the original game, how they used to go hunting, which explains why he knew his way around the tunnels and things, but other than that, we didn't get anything. So to get a nice, more fleshed out backstory, um, and again, sort of a sympathetic one because his mum dialed in childbirth and whatever, was good. It was an improvement. He really was um, an excellent character in this rather than the sort of Jack Sparrow comedic character from the original who like you say just turned up completely randomly and yeah when when i found out he was an ex-umbrella researcher i did kind of roll my eyes but then it wasn't too on the nose the connection was quite good it it wasn't overpowering it was quite sensible what they did i still see people now saying oh yeah you know lewis created the nemesis he didn't create the nemesis you know umbrella europe had a, a working nemesis parasite in 1988 when lewis was 12 years old Lewis joined Umbrella after he graduated university in uh, the mid-90s. So he would have worked at the European Sixth Lab. He would have worked on the Nemesis Parasite, sure. But he then left Umbrella quite a bit before the Raccoon City incident happened. And the actual Nemesis itself wasn't developed until after the Mansion incident when they implanted the Parasite into a tyrant. So he doesn't really have any ties to the Nemesis itself. It's more he worked with the best of the best of Umbrella on Parasites and learning about their control mechanisms and you know how it would make them more effective in the creation of bioweapons. And all he's done is take that knowledge and expertise and apply it to the Plaga research for the Los Illuminados, which has obviously added to the guilty feels. So it's not the nemesis that's based on the Plaga, it's sort of kind of the other way around. 
you just got to stretch it and go, oh, he, he's done all this parasite work. He's a very good parasite bioengineer. And he's just happened to go home. And lo and behold, there's also a parasitic BOW that just happens to be dug up by the, the nearby castle. Yeah. That's the kind of thing. <laughs> okay, fine. Rob, did you, did you like the additions for Lewis? Yeah, I did. I really thought that fleshing out his character and, and even just, you know, keeping him involved in more of the narrative was one of the improvements over the original that I really gelled with. And I wasn't sure if I would like his character more or less than I did the original, but I think it's uh, it is another one of those improvements that the game has managed to, to make. So, yeah, I was quite happy with that. And I, I liked having, like, motivational history, you know, like the stuff with his grandfather and all that sort of stuff. It adds depth to the character and makes you understand a lot more and then like ensuring that you understand the connection with Umbrella you know and all that sort of stuff I thought it was definitely handled as one of the things I really did enjoy and I think that's true of a lot of the remakes I mean you can level a lot criticism against the remakes for various reasons but in terms of the development of smaller characters the remakes have done an excellent job i'm thinking you know even today marvin's performance in remake 2 superb carlos in remake 3 brilliant tyrell wonderful and you know adding to that and i think remake 4 continues that with the characters yeah we don't get a lot of sadler but at least we got a little bit in the in the files but in terms of actual you know people going along you know as you see them in human form yeah lewis gets a much needed improvement in that and um you know helps deliver a a believable storyline and you do you feel it don't you he battles with you side by side and then he's like just about to help and then (gasps) that moment he just gets the knife chucked in him you're like oh and you know, you know it's coming. I, I prefer, as I said, I think we discussed it last time. I think he, I preferred his death in this. You know, it, just at that point, you're like, "Yeah, come on, Lewis, we can do this." And then the game just goes, "No, nope, that's it. He's gone." And then it's Krauser that's done it. And I thought, "Yeah, okay, that's made it personable." You know, there's only a certain amount they can go without you playing it in terms of Leon's history with Krauser. You know, they could spend hours talking about it in the game, but from a player's point of view, you perhaps need that little bit of in-game moment to help solidify oh this is becoming a little bit personal and the killing of lewis in front of you just as you as the gamer of going yeah okay he's on our side he's a good he's going to help us and then he's just taken away i think that was probably one of their best decisions in the remake for i think as well having krauser involved with um lewis's death actually gives krauser more gravitas within the narrative as well because he was very much Mm. a non-entity until a point in the original game and i think having him integrated far earlier and having the sequence, you know, the, with the knife fight, Lewis's death and everything occur in the castle sequence only lends itself better than the narrative, for sure. I do find it's a bit of a stretch, though, that Lewis's key literally becomes this game's, as you mentioned earlier, law room. That's about think- as late as it could occur within the game before they drop all these bombshell revelations for his character. You kind of get, like, one early law room that's kind of hidden, which is the yeah. um, the attic, and yeah. then you kind of get that, <laughs> and then you get the late law room too, yeah. I mean, we don't get the conversation with Lewis and Leon with the chains, um, and I do feel that is a loss to the remake where Leon talks about his first day on the force and... Lewis, is he bullshitting now with the remake law that he was a cop from Madrid? It would have been interesting to see that dynamic if you know they got they got more chance to talk about Lu- you know Lewis's. And I know um, Hunnigan, um, she, she obviously drops the bombshell to Leon early on that um, Lewis's ex umbrella, but they don't. I feel that even with Lewis's expanded role, they don't get a chance to crunch that as much as I think we would have liked. 
it's still mm-hmm. very briefly dealt with in their yeah, ex version. Yeah, yeah. Um, whereas it would have been probably better to have a moment in the original, like where they're chained together and they have to have to converse because they can't get out yet. It would have been nice to see that maybe the chain sequence where they're chained up reworked after Leon had known about Lewis working for Umbrella. And then it might have actually provoked a greater discussion between the two characters. You know, how Leon feels so wronged by his awful day in Raccoon, basically being at the hands of this guy that used to work for them. Mm. We don't really get that. And and I think the game promises it, and it's still... This is the problem with the remakes in the, in the whole. It's like we talked about the Easter eggs, didn't we? Like, the game is happy to throw these tantalizing things at you but then when it comes to actually delivering them it sometimes leaves you a bit wanted i feel an interesting point though because you could have actually had as you said an interesting discussion between leon and lewis about his role in umbrella as basically as a job it's not something that really comes up with when you have these big evil corporations you've really just seen it in star wars with, with kind of andor the kind of mundaneness or, you know, or working in the ISB or something like that, or, you know, behind the scenes, people just going about their normal lives doing a job. And not realising they're evil. Yeah, yeah. To them, they're just turning up for work at 8 o'clock in the morning, doing a few things and going home. Yeah, well, you could have had a really interesting story. Going, I've always been good at science. I, you know, Umbrella recruited me when I was young, and it was so exciting. I, sh- you know, moved to Paris, and I was, you know, de- state of the art technology. You know, you could almost, you could almost hear an excitement growing. And Leon's going, "What the hell are you talking about?" But at that point in his life, that that could have been a really interesting conversation, and that would have actually then fed on quite nicely to where he is in the game, where he's deeply regretting what he's doing. And what he's done, because he obviously willingly goes back, you know, to his home, willingly joins Los Illuminados, you know, eager to carry on with his, you know, genetic manipulation, which he thinks is a good thing at that point. You know, and that's not necessarily a wrong opinion to have. It's only when it was used in a negative way that he starts going, oh, crap, what have I done? You know, it's, it's the nuclear bomb thing, isn't it? That could have been a really good point. Oh, you're right. We could have had a detailed conversation with uh, where Leon can only look at it from the, the end game of well, you know, create the T-virus or, you know, you've created monsters that he's going, ah, you know, from here. And and again, in Remake 4, you get the impression that I'm not sure how much Lewis knew about all the other creatures was going on. He had his own little part. He was almost like the super team on the old village area. I got the impression he was always doing the kind of microbiology and other people were making the El Gigantes and the uh, and the other weird things, and I, I wonder how privy he was to all of that, and whether he was just focused on Plagas. I don't know. That could just be a bit of you know hopeful thinking, but I don't know if anyone had any comments on that. Oh, I, I think he was fully aware because yeah, okay. In the regenerator file, when the researcher's talking about creating it, he makes an offhanded reference to that pretentious colleague of his, which I think he takes to mean Lewis. I could be wrong, of course, but that's what jumped out to me when I first read it. This pretentious colleague of mine that's objecting to the regenerator then says it's really dangerous, but I'll just ignore him anyway. So I think he was fully involved. I would say he was probably the chief researcher of the whole project, and it was only really when he saw how far it had developed when he started to realise that, Jesus Christ, I'm creating a bit of a you know a doomsday weapon here, and yeah. he wanted to change sides. Well, good chance that we're going to get a lot more Lewis in separate ways. You never know, we could get an Ada and Lewis team up, like Lewis did with Aid Leon. That could be quite exciting. But what's interesting about him, he's obviously had the amber on him all along. 
I know he meets Ada um, after the cabin siege and says he'll go and get it like the original game. But then he gets it, but he still doesn't leave with her. He stays behind to make sure um, Leon and Ashley get cured first, and that ultimately leads to his death. So, you know, that's another aspect to his character, which, you know, shows that he's really trying to seek redemption for what he's done. You know, he wants to help Leon and Ashley get out of there before escaping himself. It's interesting if separate ways will elaborate on all that, because he he continually, in the main campaign, doesn't turn up where he says he's going to be. He seems to be endlessly delayed, doesn't he? Hmm. Yeah, because he says he'll meet them in the the courtyard and then the ballroom and you get there and, yeah, he's, he's not there at all, is he? Ida, what the hell are you doing? Nothing personal, Leon. Luis and I had an arrangement. Don't worry, I'll take good care of it. Right here. You coming? I think we both know this. It's where we go our separate ways. I mean, that moves us quite nicely on, and we've touched upon it already. What can we expect from separate ways? Um, I think our list is quite long now, isn't it, chaps? <laughs> well, there's a question for what we can expect versus what can we hope for. I think our hopeful list is going to be quite high. I personally can't wait for Saddler's battleship level, because that was <laughs> truly the highlight of separate ways. I think they'll scrap it. I won't be surprised. They absolutely will scrap it. It'll go. As John said earlier, that's not the plan anymore, is it? No, but like I keep saying, I'm hoping there'll just be much more Wesker in there. Because these remakes have bypassed Code Veronica, I'm wondering if the will, you know, the conversations he has with Ada will sort of delve into his background and what's been going on with him since the mansion incident. I mean, oh Christ, I wonder if they'll mention Code Veronica, but change details of that like they did with Operation Javier, I don't know. I think that's a risky endeavour in case they decide to actually make a Code Veronica remake down yeah. the track. Yeah. So that I think they I think they'll avoid it. Yeah, probably. But um I think it's last chance saloon for any rival company information. If we don't get it in this, we never will. The original separate ways were so bare bones. Apart from Ada's report, there was no files, it was all recycled levels. So, you know, I really do think they'll make it much more involved this time. Interestingly, a lot of the original files from Resident Evil Four were not carried over into this one. I think one of Lewis's notes was one of the notes on the Parasites file was carried over, but none of the others were were really in this so um, I'm wondering if they might be included in separate ways because a lot of them were exposition files anyway about how you know what the cult members were doing to catch Leon and Lewis and that sort of thing and I think Lewis will be much more involved and hopefully Krauser too you know it'll definitively answer whether they're working together or not but even if they're not I'm sure Krauser and Ada will have some sort of running and hopefully we'll get some original levels as well. It won't just all be recycled stuff. It'll be nice if we see some areas of the village and the castle we haven't seen before. I know we've seen the sky tram lift thing in the background. Mm-hmm. And when we get to the island, Ada just disappears and doesn't show up again at all until right at the end. So, you know, there's plenty of scope, really, for what they can well, do. The, island, the island's where they'll do the only original piece of content, which is surely the battleship. Um, I was going to say, there's the area that you go through on the way down to the jet ski, which is like catacombs with like buildings inside, and there's always a possibility they could do something set in there. That's where Ada ends up on the island at first until she turns up and basically approaches the island from a different direction from where she separates from Leon. That's perhaps maybe an idea. Is there anything on the uh, the collector's edition map that hasn't been covered? No, it's all in there. All in there, isn't no. it? No. 
so yeah, it's all just the location. It's pretty vague in that regard. It's just a topographic. But ways is interesting because um, there's something they'll probably have to address as well, which is the uh, giant pharmaceutical company S, which we obviously think was reworked into Seashell, which then became Tricell, and this is their grand moment to fix that. Well, and they will. They don't, I think it was. It'll be. It'll be odd. We've already seen. Will it just bit, become Tricell? Yeah, we've already seen the picture of Exceller on Wesker's monitor, haven't we? So I'm sure they'll fix it. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Yes. I'm not taking those images as confirmation of Remake Five either. I think that's just a neat Easter egg at the moment. I don't think they'll mention Tricell at all. You don't think they will? Even even Infinite Darkness felt a need to chuck that in at the end for no reason. Maybe just a vague reference to another company and not specifically name it. Is that what you mean, Nick? Well, I'm only gonna say that. I mean, I think they added it in separate ways originally because they had plans as to what they were gonna do roughly with Wesker, and they thought, oh, he's just work for another company and we'll do it like that we don't know when the remake train is ending we don't know if remake 5 is going to happen and the history suggests they're just going to leave everything vague so i just wouldn't be surprised i mean it only comes up because ada monologues at the end doesn't it you know she just goes we'll soon see him again i was just going to say it almost feels like they keep the remakes intentionally vague because they a don't know if they're going to continue and b almost certainly do know they're going to continue and they don't want to make that's exactly yeah yeah that's exactly what I was going to say. And then that's why I don't think that it would have, like, as John was saying with the Code Veronica thing, I think they would try intentionally keep that vague because they don't want to have something that contradicts should they yeah. make a Code Veronica remake Absolutely. down the path. But if they don't, then it's not going to impact either. So, yeah. The only other bit that makes me curious about, about it is the whole 7 HCF reference because oh, yes. that's a re engine game that makes a reference to an old you know in canon thing so i'm going to be interested to see if that has to be reworked somehow as well so yeah well yeah i mean remake 4 was the grand opportunity to just reimagine the rival company as hcf Mm. all they had to do was just chuck that in a file and well they still might were healed Yeah, well, hopefully they still will, mm. because, you know, it's the perfect opportunity to explain who the rival company are and Wesker's role within them and Ada's role within them. But I think they'll absolutely mention Tricell. I think the reason it was kept so vague in the original is because they didn't know where they were going to go. But now it's all pre-written. You know, whether they remake Resident Evil 5 or they don't, the story's going to lead to Tricell. So it makes sense to me to name them outright, because I imagine we'll get a revised version of Ada's report in some capacity. And we've already seen Exceller and a picture of the Sun Garden, so I don't see why they wouldn't mention Tricell, personally. Uh, Just briefly, just going to one side for a moment, Exceller's appearance in that cutscene is surprising to me because of all the things that I think like a remake of 5 would reimagine, I I always felt Exceller would be dramatically redone. She possibly still could. Realistically, what we were looking at on those images was existing art. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But it, it kind of, it locks something in, doesn't it? Unless they patch it, it looks an, like an idea. It, I mean, that's that's like Ada in this in the remake of Four. In theory, like characterization is different and has a slightly different look, but in theory, is still the same character. And so, if they went down a line where she looked slightly different but still was enough of the character, you know, like Leon looks. It's still Leon. Like he's not exactly the same as the original for Leon, but he still looks like Leon. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's just a, a version. So I, th- I think it's not that important in the scheme of things. Like Wesker still looks like Wesker, even though he looks slightly different. He still looks enough of the character that you understand who it is straight off the bat. 
yeah, it's kind of a weird one in that regard. I think the thing that's got me, the more we've talked about this, is just how casual now we're just like, so when the next remake happens, or oh, what yeah, yeah. games they remake, it's really compared to what you were talking about before, Sean, with like seven years ago, listening to that, the Resident yeah. Evil 2 reveal, it's like, we've just gotten so I mean, casual. If they remake Code Veronica or 5, will they do this? Will they remake 1? Will they remake 0? What will they do next? Like, I've said on the uh, on the Discord, so it's kind of, uh, you know, printed online, that I'll leave the podcast when they announce Resident Evil 5 because I've just got nothing more to offer. I can't be enthusiastic or positive. And if they ever do get there, just fucking get on with Resident Evil 6 then. Just do it. Just just fill, fulfill your journey, Capcom. Just, just do it. Just get it out of your system so we can finally fucking move on. And then all they'll do is just announce a Resident Evil 2 remake again. No, 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 no. Because by the, then enough time's passed that they can remake Resident Evil 7 and oh, then no. Resident Evil 8. And then I remake Resident I Evil cannot, 2. I cannot commit to this conversation without literally my brain liquefying and pouring out my ear. Is it too late to crack a beer at this time? Uh, there have been several already. Just take comfort in the fact that Remake 4 is completely non-canon because the bell tower in the village is still standing in Umbrella Core. Yeah. So there you go. Case closed. <laughs> <laughs> that does bring us nicely actually on to you know another element of the law that we aren't going to talk about too much in this podcast because we're saving it for a, a future podcast later on in the year but it's the overall position with the canon um, specifically the remake canon and there's been some discussion and some up-to-date interviews should we say and comments from capcom and we'll, we'll talk about it in a lot more detail at another time but it does raise the question about where this fits, if at all. And I think we've spoken earlier about how perhaps what the quote-unquote true version of events is is becoming less and less important. And mm. as long as all the big bits kind of happen, then it's fine. And then you can kind of go, well, I like, uh, you know, I, I prefer Remake 1 or I you know, prefer Remake 2's interpretation over OG. So that's fine. It does everything I need it to to line up with Resident Evil 6 for example. And that's fine. I think when, when we had kind of Alex on, and um, we mentioned comments, uh, you know, in the past as well, about how almost laissez-faire the Japanese tend to be about if things don't quite match up continuity-wise. It's like, it doesn't, you know, whatever. It is what it is kind of scenario. I think we're seeing that more and more with Capcom, certainly with this franchise. Uh, I just wonder, because in the past, they've placed such a strong emphasis on the storyline. Uh, it's been a huge... I mean, it's certainly one of the major reasons why I still play the games today, and certainly through the dark period from 4 to 6, from my point of view anyway, because I didn't really replay a lot of the games as they were coming out. It's the kind of bombastic nature of bioterrorism, the slightly over-the-top heroes, but it's also that, that sinister horror element behind it, and there was that cohesive storyline and structure going through with a clear point from A to B. Now, whether that was always intentional, I think it was, and I think the kind of supplemental material that's kind of come about in the last 10 years or so really does shine a light on how much thought and effort goes into making these games, in trying to make it work and be as realistic as it can be within the confines of its own genre. I can't help but feel a lot of it is a bit lost, and as someone who is a dedicated new canon fanatic for, the, for Star Wars, uh, I get a bit put off when Dave Filoni messes up with a canon in the Mandalorian, which does occasionally. I've never considered that before, Nick, that like... When it comes to Resident Evil, like I, I know you very much appreciate the prime timeline, but then with Star Wars, you very much embrace the new. It's only because that's when I kind of got, I had do the you, opportunity to get you, into it. And do you have a choice now? You don't. You don't 
have a choice because they've made a definite there's yeah. a difference there that with star wars that they've made a definite point of going there's the old universe and that's still there it exists as it was but it's not being touched anymore but going forward we're only going to this and that doesn't mean we can't pull from those bits in the past because they obviously mm. do but like yeah there's a difference there this is where i was about to say which is like there are two facets that people need to keep aware one is that people confuse canon with events canon and events are not necessarily the same thing canon is a concept of consistent tone and consistent narrative and consistent events nick your video that you did i'm gonna i always mention the video because it, it's a great example of it is that Resident Evil 2 and Resident Evil 3 remakes, they hit the narrative beats that would be consistent to the original as far as a base canon. Like, the, this happens, this happens, this happens. 4 does yeah. the same. The events do change, but the narrative doesn't change. The events are what changes, and the way that they're structured is what changes. And people sometimes conflate the two together as a problem when that's not necessarily the case. For example, with Resident Evil 2 remake, do I lament that Leon and Claire do not communicate as much as they do in the original? Yes, it's terrible. The narrative of its structure changes but does it change the dynamic between the characters no no it doesn't the narrative that they go through individually as characters stays consistent and that is canon that thing is no different and people need to remember that sometimes you can keep canon with change and obviously people love to point out oh Resident Evil 1 didn't have canon because it, you had multiple versions of the same events and it wasn't until later that narrative was created and that's also true that's not a fact you can deny but it doesn't necessitate that it's a problem because the events can change so the remake 1 kind of tells the same events but with some changes and it doesn't make any major impact 4 is kind of like that now because fundamentally we can pick at all the things that have changed minorly that have knock-on effects to other canon um, or other events per se but it doesn't fundamentally change that the story of it actually hasn't changed at all like Leon is still going into rescue the president's daughter there's still a nefarious plot by the Los Illuminatus for why they've kidnapped the president's daughter all those things have changed it's just the details that have been altered so yeah you have to be aware that I think what they're doing in Japan is they go right we at least hit the bits that are important but how we get there and how the details are don't seem to matter as much and that obviously infuriates people that are very much canon focused and want these details to line up perfectly consistently whereas other people might be like and eh, the base stuff matches the other part of it for me is that how do i explain this i had a thought process and now it's gone because i've granted too much about canon but it's like the thing i think that's changed is twofold and we've talked about this before once the whisker was gone in the original timeline the narrative cohesion of umbrella had gone wesker had gone so you didn't have a big bad anymore so you have to start creating new stories and it became almost like a i don't want to say villain of the week thing but it was you know like every game had a new enemy a new company a new organization a new virus a new outbreak a new plaga whatever it was so the games themselves started to pull away from needing narrative connectivity. Additionally, the people working on them were not working under the auspicious of what the original games were. So we had the original Resident Evil, Biohazard, and then obviously we all know that there was 1.5. And one of the criticisms when they, they had that reviewed, they brought in, you know, so what was the name, John, remind me, the writer they brought in? My brain's gone blank. Oh, Sigamura. Sigamura, thank you. They brought Sigamura in, and his thing was... Why is this disconnected? You've got a perfect opportunity to continue this narrative because the narrative 1.5 was basically standalone. You know, Umbrella was involved, there were zombies, but there was no connective tissue to tie it to the original game. So he said to them, you need to have something tied. So that's how Claire Redfield was created because he said, and you need to connect this more to the mansion incident. And so that was the draw card of basically the flagship era was that every narrative point kind of had a continuation from the previous title they'd worked on. There was always that connective tissue to them. Whereas that's not going 
going on anymore. Like, they've got different writers. We know this. They've got different writers writing on these games. We know that there's um, their remakes, so they've got the opportunity to go back and just reimagine because they want to make something pointedly different. And they've said this in the roundtables and all that sort of stuff that they said. The original game exists. We don't want to make a one-for-one remake you know, exactly the same. We want to do something different and interesting with it. And so their own options have, have changed. So internally, we know that's different. So it's hard. Those things are never going to match up. So that's why I don't sit here and get too surprised when I find character motivation has changed, even if the outcome's the same, or the details of information has been improved or reduced. And that's when people get upset. They get upset about, oh, this content was cut. Well, this was missing. It's just like, well, did it matter? Like, yeah, it sucks on one level. I don't not get it. Like, oh, I really would have liked to have seen a reimagining of the clock tower section in Resident Evil 3 Remake. But narratively, does it change? No, Jill still gets infected. Things still happen the way they did in the original. They're just slimmed down. And is it worth getting that upset about? I can't say yes or no. It's individual take. Personally, I'm like, it's disappointing, but it's not the end of the world. For the most part, Rob, I 90% agree with that, but I I just cannot be on board with Dead Factory being replaced by Ness 2. And I can't even dumb it down to Jill fights Nemesis, Jill wins. There's too much more attached to Dead Factory. I think that's the thing that perhaps these remakes do crime on is the visual lore. You know what I mean? Like it's all narrative beats and the continuity of the narrative in cutscenes and story stays the same but the visual storytelling and visual history has changed drastically and i think that's the thing that all the remakes do all three of them do and dead factory is a perfect example i was disappointed by that i was disappointed i mean i'm upset about that i'm upset about the rail gun being turned into a giant finger like it's silly i think it was changes that were unnecessary and it is probably one of the major changes especially in three which i think we'd all admit is probably the weakest of the remakes and as far as what it remakes and what it changes it changes the most i mean the thing was that with remake three i was on board all the way up till jill arrived at nest two and then i was just like this is just bullshit this is just nonsense and then too, and then too modern the, doesn't fit yeah yeah and that's when i mean i was the with revelations with um nikolai as well you know nikolai is working for yeah. a third party where he didn't originally and it's just like oh this is just oh it's too much well i think i was the same with two like the modern lab just didn't fit the vibe of the OG and it does change somewhat narratively how the lab is presented because as Nick pointed out in that video I'm going to refer to again it's like in the original the lab was hidden and it was a really weird like setup to be hidden to put it through the sewers and like only certain people knew about it but the lab in the remake is like known and you can access it with a visitor's security yeah. band and yeah. like you know all that narrative setup of like the stuff with irons that was related to him having to protect you know Birkin and all that kind of loses its impact when you know the lab is so easily accessible you know so that's where I think the world building narrative changes but again like that's where Capcom's obviously gone we don't really care about that as much we're gonna hit the beats that are the canonical beats that need to be hit and everything else is superfluous and and I think it's a shame I mean I'm not saying that's a good thing either I think it's a shame personally but I can kind of understand it as Alex um, Anil sort of told us when he guested on the podcast a, a while ago was that we in western territories care far more about the wider law and things like that the where why how 
Yeah. yeah, he's a native fluent Japanese speaker and he's obviously spoken to a lot of people over there. And, and if there is a canon issue or continuity problem, you know, to the Japanese, you know, sort of the originally written version of the game, if there's a problem, that's just how it is. And we just carry on. We just kind of go, yeah, okay, it doesn't fit. We just move on mm. and we're not bothered. Yeah, and they just find a way to just move forward with it. And as long as it vaguely heads in the right direction, it seems to be fine. Yeah. Like, it's we only don't care about the net powers. sit here crunching. <laughs> Well, why doesn't this exact footstep link in with the, you know, the... <laughs> I feel sorry for people like John, because I, and I'm not meaning this, and I'm like, you know, you, you don't need my massive sympathy for something, but I know that he's been hours working on a timeline that actually kind of worked, and then when you start adding all these new games, those details no longer line up, or you have to start going, what can I take and what can't I take away from this that adds to the lore and adds to the information? But again, that's it. Lore is not canon. This is where I think I was trying to hit. It's like, lore is lore. Sometimes lore is not canon. Canon is canon because it just sets an established through line. But lore can change because it can be retconned, it can be adjusted, it can be embellished, it can be retracted, it can be whatever it wants to be because things constantly move. Like, yeah, it's kind of a weird way to describe it. I don't know if that makes sense, but to me it does. I don't know if it makes sense to anyone else. Part of the problem for me is I think a lot of people get confused between canon and content continuity which are two different things canon like you say it's a through line it links everything together the narrative how it works etc whereas continuity is all about establishing consistency the visual ties between games and that's something that's never really bothered me in terms of canon nest and the lab from the first game yeah it's irritating that nest doesn't resemble the lab from the original game but in in terms of canon they're meant to be one and the same so i can accept that it doesn't bother me yeah it doesn't doesn't bother me it's just the continuity isn't there and that's a different thing and i think a lot of people get confused by those two terms and that's the thing that bothers me more is i like continuity in things for reason you know yeah but when the rpd in three doesn't exactly match up with how it is in in other games that's not a canon problem that's a continuity issue and a great point of that and a good reason to bring that up is that that's always been the case in Resident Evil 3 OG and Resident Evil 2 OG, the situations that line up don't fully line up. There are, there are things that just don't work time-wise, and, but you just accept them because it's gameplay elements, you know? Like, they had to border up and access, you know, require access for Jill to get into certain bits, and then when you go through there, when you're playing that in Resident Evil 2, the, the access problems don't exist. Why do you have to redo a puzzle, or why do you have to do... Because it's gameplay. It's because it's the game access part of the game it's not because that's canon it's not it's not a canon thing at all and it's like when people tell that you know characters had to repeat the same puzzles in the same areas in the same narrative even though they're happening at the same time it's like no that's just gameplay that's yeah yeah it's it's such an odd thing that people get these things mistaken and quite wound up about the broken window oh yeah broken window is a perfect example yeah exactly someone made a mistake does it matter does it change anything not at all I think that's quite a handy little preview, I think, of what we're going to kind of be discussing, talking about in our Remake Reflections podcast, where we're going to be looking back at all the kind of remakes and just trying to see what the difference is between them. Is there anything people can do to help relieve their stressful minds as to what is the, as I say, quote unquote truth of the situation? And, you know, we've touched on there about, you know, for me, I like to know Jill did this or Leon did that, you know, and you can play a version of that canon. And that's where I've struggled a bit. So we're going to kind of really dig into that and see if we do have 
ultimately a different continuity, different timeline that exists. And do they separate? Do they divulge? Do they join up again? They're the kind of things we're going to look back on in the future. So stay tuned for that. But that will be towards um, later in the year. So that does finish our lore discussion of Resident Evil 4 Remake. I've very much enjoyed it. I think we had a uh, really a deep dive there into a lot of the changes and I hope everyone has enjoyed it. We now turn our attention to this podcast edition of Neptune's Biohazard Quiz. Do you know your G-Virus from your C-Virus? And your Jabberwock from your Bandersnatch? Or perhaps the number of bombs that appear on the Made in Heaven vest. Jesus what? Christ. What is that? I'm getting a big fancy over this week. Yeah, I'm not going to get any of these. We've talked about the games straying too far from the Origins, this Resident Evil quiz. We're now getting Spice Girls as the correct answer. I mean, it's time to quit. This is Neptune Biohazard Quiz. Five questions for everyone. We are going right across the spectrum here of Resident Evil. Five questions I've put together so you can clear your desktops. You can open up Notepad if you need it. Here we go. Question number one. What does the S stand for in the original Resident Evil 4 if you unlock all the costumes? This is an achievement question, ladies and gentlemen. I've never done one before. Question number two. What colour is the iris in the glass eye item in Code Veronica? Quite a cool item. What colour is the iris? Question number three. What throwing item does David have at the start of each of his scenario in Outbreak? And question four. A welcome return of the odd one out round. Oh, yes. Oh, no. <laughs> no, no, this, this is fine. This is fine. Okay. So which one of these does not appear as a treasure in Revelations 2? Topaz, Ruby... Diamond or Jade? And finally, question at number five. Uh, remake 4 question. What type of beetle can you encounter in Remake 4 in-game and as a charm on your briefcase? After all she's been through, she's trying to make up for what happened to her. You mean how Wesker brainwashed her and made her come after us? No one's blaming Jill for that. No one. Except Jill. Dr. Taylor? Yes, we need him in custody ASAP. I checked the DNA we got from a bite wound on an orca carcass. It had a strain of T-virus in it. You're kidding. I found the connection between the folks that were infected. They all visited Alcatraz recently. Well, Dr. Taylor, it's time we debuted our... Ah! Creation. 
questions let's see how well everyone has done so question number one what does the s stand for in the original resident evil 4 if you unlock all the costumes rob seen confidence so we'll come to him last batman did you know and this is in relation to the costumes yes it's an achievement if you unlock all the costumes oh god absolutely no idea um suits you sir suits you okay okay stars tyrant did you know socialist i had no idea so the S stands for socialist. You're going to kick yourselves, because I think Romby knows it, Rob. Stylish. Stylish. Oh, <laughs> oh, of course it the does. The S stands for stylish. stylish. <laughs> yes, which could be a nod back to... One yeah, of the sorry, original. Dante. Mm, stylish yeah. RE4. Yes, there we go. Question at number two. What is the colour of the glass eye item in Veronica? Batman, it's your favourite game. Do you know, I can't even remember a glass eye being in Code Veronica. Oh, no! That's the, uh, the Doctor set yeah. and they have in the battle game uh, Wesker stares at it as a bonus. Yeah. As a bonus. It's a great moment in the game. There's no great moments in that game. game <laughs> um, I've no idea. Um, green. Green eye. Okay, Stars Tarrant, did you know? It's like something like orange or yellow. I'll go orange. Orange. Okay. Rombi? I think it's blue. Is blue. It is. It's just a standard blue. Yeah. Nothing special. There we go. Well done, Rumby. Question number three. What throwing item does David have at the start of each of his scenarios? Or when you play as David? Rumby? Is it a knife? I have no idea. Knife? <laughs> I'm going to go with knife. It just knife? seems like a throwing item. It is a throwing well, item. Absolutely. Star Stone? Wrench. Oh. Batman? Yeah, wrench. Is. Oh, it makes so much yeah. more noise. It's... <laughs> it does make <laughs> Monkey as soon as he said it, I was like, I've seen the, I can see the artwork of him standing with the wrench. <laughs> yes, he has this collection of 12, 12 monkey wrenches, mm. there you go, which you could use. The different sizes, David, clearly. David King. Legend. Question number four was the odd one out question. So which of these treasures does not appear in Revelations 2? A topaz, the ruby, a diamond, or a jade? Batman, did you know? I'm pretty sure it's either Jade or Diamond. I think it's Jade. I don't recall Jade in Revelations 2. Okay, start staring. I said Jade as well. Yeah, I don't remember it. Okay, Rombi? I've gone with Jade as well. It's correct. It is Jade, because Jade's obviously a character in Netflix. But there we go. No, correct. Uh, Topaz, <laughs> Ruby, and Diamond. God. <laughs> I will give you credit for that one because it's, that one fits. He just cannot wait to link these fucking things in, can he? But that's I will give him that because they do have jade treasures and other Resident Evil titles. So oh. you know. Oh. I'll give him that. Was the answer Tyler Hamilton, Nick? 
<laughs> researching into this, there's actually a remarkable consistency in a lot of the games. The Topaz, Ruby, Diamond, and Emerald is the other one. Appears in Revelations yeah. 2 and in uh, RE5 as well, so there's quite a lot. There we go. Question number five was what type of beetle can you encounter in Remake 4 in-game, but also as a charm on your briefcase? Thus, Tarrant, did you know? I just went for Scarab. It's the only thing I think of. Scarab beetle. Makes sense. Batman? Yeah, I think it's a Scarab beetle. It's on the wall of the castle in the courtyard behind that fountain thing. Mm -hmm. Rumby? Rhino. Well, someone has been paying attention. Rombi is absolutely correct. It is a rhinoceros beetle. Uh, not hey, as... Bollocks. <laughs> not as... <laughs> the giant horn. Yes, it's like a stag beetle, but the the claws the other way around. So let's have a look at those final scores. Wow. This podcast winner with a mightily impressive four out of five. It's Rombi. Well done, sir. Yeah, I'm I'm quite happy with that one. Yeah, very impressive. And uh, joint <laughs> second, Sean, you'll be delighted. Joint second with two points. So well done. Shove your quiz up your arse, Nick. No law questions in a law-themed podcast. Disappointing. Yeah. <laughs> That's why I think I did so well, because it's like attention to detail in the game universe, not in, in items, not, not, not in the law. I like to keep you on your toes. Uh, keep you on your toes. So congratulations, Rob. That does uh, finish our quiz for this time. So join us next time when we'll have some more questions. I'm disappointed I'd studied mid-2000s phones for no reason. (laughs) (laughs) Very good. So we are uh, rapidly ending uh, episode 87. I think it's been uh, an interesting discussion and more to come, more to come, as I said. Uh, You can look forward to a remake Reflections podcast uh, later in the year. But coming up next, oh yes, we go back to the murky world of Dead Aim. Yes! For Resident Evil Dead Aim is 20 years old. 20 years old. I mean, I, I don't want to make everyone seem old, but it is two decades old, and we need to celebrate this event, so we will be, with a kind of retrospective happy birthday podcast. And to help that, uh, we're going to be doing a law stream on our YouTube channel at some point, where our resident Twitcher, Star Starrett, you're going to be uh, <laughs> streaming the game be- beginning to end. You've been experimenting yep. with mouse controls and every form of controls. Yep. We, we, should, we should be pretty much solid on the day, but um, I love the game. For me, obviously, it comes full circle because it was my first ever appearance on the podcast was the Dead Aim episode. So the fact that we're celebrating 20 years of this title, which is one of my favourites in the series, and I say that with no exaggeration or anything, I love the title. Um, We'll try and get this off the ground. The idea is I will play it, and the other guys who are here with me today will be your hosts, and we'll be there to engage with the chat and things like that. So um, I hope everyone can join us. It's going to be a fun evening. I like to think I've got Dead Aim down to the point where I won't die hilariously badly on stream. But, you know, if you're there and you see it, it's going to be a great experience too. So hope you can join us. Yes, make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel then and then you'll know when we're going live uh, for that. But we'll try and 
keep everyone posted. But what's great about Dead Aim is that for such a simple spin-off, there's an awful lot of lore going on. <laughs> there's mm. loads of mentions. We've got the Nemesis Lab, the Sixth Lab. We've got really obscure timeline dates as to when things happen. Talking about Morpheus's dismissal, why he was dismissed, creation of Pluto, what's going on at the Benthic Labs. There's all sorts of things. that yeah. um, It's good. It's deep. And sort of from Code Veronica to Umbrella's End, it's the only real entry we have with yep. the wider lore. You know, there's a big void in the timeline, and Dead Aim is the only game that kind of fulfills any entry, if you like. Absolutely, and uh, very much looking forward to it. So um, that's will be coming up, and obviously following that, we'll probably should be hitting the uh, Death Island review as well. So plenty to look forward to. On that note, I'd like to thank everyone for listening, and it's goodbye from me, Neptune. Goodbye from me, Batman. Goodbye from me, Star Siren. And goodbye from me, Rombi. Shot, shot, gun to gun shot. <laughs> <laughs>